Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damian Abraham, and your other host, that show-going, free-flowing, scooter-riding, <laughs> big-smiling Chris O'Toole. Chris, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good. Good. You know, it's colossal intro. Well, you know, I, I I feel like this episode needs it because this, to me, this is it, buddy. This is the apex. Well, <laughs> you uh, you mentioned it for a few weeks, I think. Yep. And uh, it did deliver, I think, on the on the level in which you were sort of building it up, anticipating it, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was. I mean, what I really liked about it. Well, we can talk about it more later, I suppose. But I just enjoyed that. Not only was the whole idea of the thing, but also that Zach already did one. Actually, they both did one. Yeah. And even with them having done one each already, it was still a great episode unto itself with, in a, you know, in a different context. And I don't know. It's just great. And anyway. I'm pretty sure we did footnotes for both of their episodes, right? Um, Zach, I think MVP is so. one of the first footnotes that you ever did. Yeah, I remember. I know, I know Zach for sure because I remember going crazy and just going into like a hagfish like wormhole for like a few days after it. Yeah, but um, MVP, I think so too. The only reason why it's a bit hazy in my memory is because I still, you know, never really. I'm not familiar with him as a wrestler, so it never stuck in my mind as much. But I love his interview. Well, you sure did, Chris. Back in episode 64, there we, we go. Did a footnote. So this is something like yeah, like two people that we both discussed at length before and this is a connection i was completely unaware of until mvp started telling me this whole crazy story and i put two to two together and was like his name was zach blair and yeah it was but it was just something i never thought i'd you know the last thing i expected to hear that night it might have helped that i'd also done a couple dabs (laughs) Well, it's just wild because the idea that you helped connect the dots on this, even in some capacity, is just insane. Like, it just, the whole scenario is just so wild. But yeah, what I like about it is, is it speaks to, again, what you've you've stressed on this show, the idea that there's like a common thread that you could connect through, I would argue, pop culture at large mm-hmm. these days. But, but uh, the idea that like the, the community, however you want, would like to express that, um, although it is vast and worldwide and what have you, it's, it's, you still have scenarios like this where, you know, now all these people arguably are your, your friend or acquaintance at the very least or outright friend. And now you've, you know, you've traced like that story's insane. Like how they grew up, like, like how are, how are you in that narrative at all now? That's such a wild scenario. Well, like, and I would say that like, you know, not that everyone on the show has wound up being a friend or something, but these are definitely two people that I've become close to, like, you know, and I would definitely describe them as friends. And yeah, the fact that they're connected, I don't know. It makes, it makes it, uh, it it gives me so much hope this episode. Like the fact that here are these two guys that were in desperate situations for two completely different reasons um, that somehow find found common ground in this music. And, you know, ended up changing each other's lives or, or, or at least affecting each other's lives in, in a really profound way only to lose touch. You know, like Zach had no idea that MVP was a wrestler now and had gone on to kind of like, 
You know, he didn't even know him by the name of MVP or even by his real name. He didn't, he knew him by like another name. Um, <laughs> and it, so it's like for him, it was just so far removed, you know, like even when he remet him in the nineties, uh, you know, at that, at the infamous show that we will discuss at length. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah, we can go on. We got a mailbag to fight through first, Chris. Oh yeah. As always. Uh, and we much, uh, we're much appreciated. Yes. For having it. But, uh, to start off, uh, yeah, we got a bunch. Some are mixed through multiple weeks because we had that sort of uh, best of, if you will, at the 100. So there was a lot of that- positive feedback too. I wanted to say, Chris, I don't think I've told you this, but this weekend, last weekend, I was on tour. I guess we haven't talked about both of us. Finally, did musically significant things this weekend, uh, <laughs> and, and we're just glossing over it. Like we're just moving on to like the next subject, but. Well, we can uh, talk about that if you want to get into that. I don't know if you want to talk about that stuff. I guess we should. Like, you know, maybe we should talk about it because, you know, I think both of us, two very different punk events, but I would say two of the most major, punk, two of the more major punk events that are happening this uh, fall season. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think uh, I think, though, really quick for mine, uh, mine was that in town here, well, in Toronto, I should say. Um, was not dead yet festival, and you had on uh, Greg and Sarde a few weeks back now, I believe. Yeah. Uh, and so I just wanted to say that I, you know, I was there. I'm usually there every year, and uh, it was no different this year. But, um, but yeah, it was you know, it was well organized as per usual, and I had a great time. So I just like uh, in terms of the, those folks, me knowing them personally, and you having them, I think they did a great job, and I hope everyone who went. Felt the same way. But yeah, anyway, I don't know what you're going to say about your weekend. Well, I was going to say I went on tour with The Descendants. The Descendants are doing their tour, which is certainly for a lot of a lot of fans of a certain style of punk music, a pretty major event. Like these shows are cra- – I, I don't know if I've seen like, you know, maybe the Foo Fighters, but like that many people all singing along to, to a song. You know, like when they played a song off Milo Goes to College, like – my God, every single person knew the words and was yelling along at the top of their lungs. Um, yeah, but like, I think the thing is, uh, you know, with Not Dead Yet is that festival keeps getting bigger, you know, like every year I'm kind of like, what are they going to do now? Like, that's like, that was pretty big. You know, they had all the big bands play. And this year, I don't know, I think I, I you would have known better than I because you've been a lot more you know, involved as far as going to it as a show goer. I've only been to a few shows over the years because of the rash of children being birthed in my house. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but you know, like I, I feel like it keeps getting, it seems like it keeps getting bigger each year. Yeah. I mean, I would say as far as like, uh, um, certainly the notoriety heading into it was bigger. I think there was more, uh, press surrounding it or what have you. It was, it was, and not that they were like attempting to do it, like the, it wasn't a push from their their uh, end. It was like a, a recognition, if you will, yeah, from different from different uh, sources. But um, yeah, it was. I mean, I didn't get to catch as much this year as I normally do. I'm normally in town for like four days. I was only really in town for the weekend, like the Saturday Sunday or sorry Friday Saturday type thing. Mm-hmm. But um, but the thing I liked was they they uh, the they've always seemed to get the groups that are. You know, not only at the the very grassroots level, but also the groups that tend to be um, the bigger names at, at that era. And they certainly got this year. I felt they got it, even though I didn't uh, get a chance to watch any of the bigger ones. But 
I did get to catch a lot of the small groups, which tend to be more my cup of tea. But uh, not no diss to anybody or whatever. I just I didn't uh, didn't have the time or money to go to every show. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. My my Lauren, my wife, and my kids went to the Gloss Turnstile show, and they both yeah. they all said it was incredible. Your kids went too. So wow. I guess that's a sh- my kids went nice. all three. <clears throat> Yeah, like I got, you know, and I I think it's really cool because I think that's one of those shows that you will look back upon and say that was a very significant moment. You know, Gloss and Turnstile both being at kind of like their height of their current powers playing together was like, you know, like, you know, Not Dead Yet even promoted it as a unity move, but it was definitely like kind of a, a move that saw two, I wouldn't say divisive scenes or anything like that, but two definitely different scenes kind of come together. Yeah, I agree. I'm with that entirely in what you just said there in terms of it being representative of, of sort of those acts. I think it will, I don't think, you know, that will be the same next year, if you will. Well, well, because gloss is done, right? Like this is, yeah, that's, that's what they're saying. Yeah. So I just mean, I just mean even in terms of turnstile, like I think that's, that's the moment with that group that will be like the, uh, trying to think how to say this <clears throat> excuse me i'd be like the kind of uh you know like catching the group at, just before the the wave crests or whatever and, and mind you they've already played not dead yet once but i think this year was like the perfect year to get them again yeah and they're they're on a major now right they're not a major yeah. but they're on like roadrunner i think well that's that's what i've heard tell of i don't i don't know factually yet. oh well myself, maybe i but, shouldn't i don't know factually well, no, no i don't know I maybe i hear rumor <laughs> either way yeah, yeah so like no matter what happens now like it's yeah it's going to be it, this is like a very special time to see both those bands totally that's funny that so did lauren get to any other gigs beyond that one no they only got to see that and but and also lock play too yeah um which features you know sam x trash talk burning eye or blazing eye sorry blazing eye yeah um and uh one of the coolest people and I was bummed that she got to see him, and I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either. They actually played two. The, the cool thing I thought this year was that that show that Lauren went to was like sold, so probably sold out the most or whatever. Like, so that was difficult to get into if you didn't already have tickets way back when. But uh, both Gloss and Locke played, and probably at least one of the other bands from that from that show played another like played a smaller show the next day or the one of the after shows kind of thing okay so and i missed i didn't get a chance to see either of them even at those unfortunately but i just thought it was cool that that they were doing that kind of stuff too which was nice so so it was low key so it was for the people that were really kind of like you know down for the whole weekend but couldn't you know didn't pay for every main show on the nights they were still able to get a chance to see these groups but yeah yeah, no, it's it's an it's an awesome festival, and it's it's you know I'm I was bummed out because this was a year where I kind of would hope that I'd be able to go to see it all, but then I had to tour. <laughs> well, it was uh it was very Boston heavy on the Friday and Saturday night, but that was just fine by me. It's um, always been like that ever since it was you know fucked up weekend. This is true, but it wasn't as much last year. I don't know if as many of those bands. Played, oh yeah, they took this... a year off last year from all those Boston bands. You're yeah, right. it seemed. But uh, the cool one was there was a few, like, I didn't get to see that band Power from Australia. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, Jonah, I don't know if when you spoke to Jonah, he had given you a review or not. I think I don't know if you talked to him since Sunday night, but I um, recorded with Career Suicide on Monday, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Actually, yeah, yeah that was the day that I did a something else with Jonah, which need not be brought up now. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so there was the thing I liked is there's a few bands I probably won't get a chance to really see either again or easily if I ever do. Yeah. But uh, Power was one I missed, unfortunately, but. I got to see Arms Race, who are from London, England, and that they were great. Uh, Did they play, violent, violent Reaction on that show too, or no? Yeah, they are, that was the night before. But yeah, I'd already seen Violent Reaction. But yeah, they did. They apparently were amazing. I was hopping shows, so I missed them, unfortunately. But and they're uh, done too now, right? This is their last run of shows. Yeah, and that's what sucks is I actually really liked that last LP, and I finally sort of. I, every time I'd seen them before, I, I knew their music in passing a bit, but this time I really kind of wanted to catch them, and it just didn't work out. But yeah, great band, uh, and apparently they were excellent. But yeah, there was just a lot of cool, cool stuff. I don't know. We could just name drop bands all night, but just wanted to give it a shout out. Did you see No Tolerance? I did. They were excellent, as always. Um, and uh, I hope, like, you know, I don't want to put the pressure on you here, but I really want <coughs> to interview, interview one of those people. From well, the, that respective group. Yeah, there's definitely there's been talk, and there has definitely been uh, invitations put out there, but there were demands that were not willing to be met at the time for myself. <laughs> okay. Subsequently, I think I've loosened my. Uh, anyway, once again, need not be going to here right now, but <laughs> okay. but yes, yeah. it will happen. It definitely. Nice. There's. Yeah, like for my my personal involvement there's a few scenes that i think i was as you know looked up to and then became involved with a lot of the bands that i loved uh from that area you know then boston you know like there's yeah. you know like be it the mind racer stuff or the locking out stuff or you know all, all, all manner of other things yeah so. but they were good yeah they played friday they were good awesome so uh i guess I gonna... i'll give my little review yeah, yeah, do your uh, thing. I saw the we went on tour with. Did I talk about it last week? You, I think you said you were going into it, but what uh, you mentioned briefly about the the sing alongs just now. But what what about? Uh, no, but I just wanted. To, I, I guess we. I guess we didn't record one. I'm trying to figure out when all this stuff does. Well, the, the, the descendants, as best I can figure, do two shows a week on non consecutive days, and that's it. So we we went on tour, tour with them for two weeks, and it was like four shows. <laughs> uh, but it was with the Nightbirds, who Brian, of course, former guest of the show. I, I'm, I'm going to say Nightbirds are like Voltron, my favorite person of all time. Like, it's like they are all amazing people, <laughs> but it's like each of them are into some facet of something that I'm obsessed with. That if you like, if when I hang out with all of them, I just feel like, oh my God, this is like the perfect hang. <laughs> I've never sorry go I've on. Never, I've never really ever talked to uh uh the the gentleman you interviewed whose name is Brian is, is escaping me to Brian. Um but I haven't really like we've played with them well when I was playing in bands I played with them at least once maybe a couple times but yeah like cool band I never but I don't know them uh, uh, to speak to a lot of them. Chris they collect records they <laughs> love wrestling and a couple of the members uh, partake in the camp. Oh, there you go. You know, and so really, I got all my bases covered. Well, Brian done. has a kid, so I can talk about dad stuff. 
It's like, <laughs> I really, I, and they were amazing. And I had a really awesome time hanging out with them. Like very few bands that I've met that kind of, uh, very jealous of the record collections. Really? Oh my God. Brian's got a pretty, he's got some fire. Oh, so they're, 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 uh, they're real, real savage collectors. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. Really. Like we went record shop. We went digging. And nice. So, and so got a Johnny and the self abuse, uh, self abuser seven inch. Nice. You, you mentioned to me, we had a little, little. Oh yeah, we did. We, sorry. We we had our, we had this part of the conversation yesterday where yeah. we just talked to each other. We ruined the podcast for ourselves by having the conversation. No, no, it's fine. I think it's good that you just humble brag to the public that you have that seven inch now. So there you go. Well, you know, it's like, it's a, <laughs> it's a humble brag in the sense that, you know, when you find it in the wild, I think yeah. you're allowed to brag about it as far as records go. If you buy it on Discogs or eBay, no. You do, you can't brag about it. <laughs> gotcha. I understand what you're saying. That the pride of finding it. I didn't. I didn't find anything crazy this weekend, but I did find a few neat ones, including another variation of a band that you were in, which I buy every one that I see. Yeah. Well, well, that that to me, Chris, is very flattering because I think uh, it is. You know, you're the one. You and I think Jonah from Fucked Up are the two people that like criminally insane. Uh, probably more than fucked up or any other band that I've ever been in. So I find that very, cause that's probably my favorite band I've ever been in. It's true, man. That demos role. I, I still call it the demo. I guess it's the seven inch now to the world, but yeah, but, uh, the, I did buy my other rare variations off Jonah too. And I still don't, what I will say is retroactively here, I'm frustrated with you because I'll never track down every, every version of that record. It, it annoys me every day of my life. Yeah. Well, <laughs> blame, uh, uh, <laughs> Fat Rich uh, and uh, uh, Jay Scheller for just giving me all these different weird variations with no sleeves and being like, do what thou wilt with this. <laughs> yeah. And so it's a quest. It's a quest. that Does I one to of them have a razor blade tape to it? Uh, I Yeah, I think I, I have that one. I, I have so many I can't remember Holy which is which. shit. But uh, I think one has, and that is one actually I did acquire from Jonah. Yeah, because um, I think there's but, only like uh, three like that, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I, I don't I, like. I remember conceiving it. I don't even know what happened to my version like that. You know, God, I hope it's not, you know, lost somewhere with a razor blade loose, <laughs> ready to cut me <laughs> when I reach into a drawer one day or something. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I remember. I remember making those. Ah, you know, I had a lot of free time before these kids started showing up. <laughs> you did. You did. I just want to say real quick, because I always forget, and I feel like this is the perfect platform. I still need a test press. So if anybody out there has one, please hit me up or us up. I'm very interested. Anyway, <laughs> that's my shameless plug. That's the okay. only thing I really need. Okay. The, uh, I think I honestly think there's probably a couple people listening that would have test presses. Chris, I met a lot of people that love this show this weekend. Well, good. And so everyone that I met this weekend that, you know, writes in and talked, came up to me and told me they write in or came up to me and told me they enjoy the show. Thank you very much. Here I am passing on your kind words to Chris. And uh, <laughs> to be fair here, maybe this is me being self-deprecating. I have a feeling that I wasn't included. In yeah. De- oh, my God. No, that that I'm not lying when I say <laughs> this at all, Chris. No, 100 percent people brought you up. 100 percent people well, talked about how much they enjoy you on this podcast. I'm very flattered, but I, I do find that a bit odd. But okay, I, I appreciate. It. I, have, I have trouble with taking compliments, so I'll, I'll I'll accept it. Well, you fucking take it, Chris, and wear <laughs> it. 
Sure. And you know what? If you really want to show Chris how much you love him, oh boy, write a review and rate us <laughs> on iTunes. Okay, yes, and subscribe. And, with that one, yeah. <laughs> and say how much you love Chris. If you really want to show? Find a test press of cruelly insane and hit me up, and I will be very happy about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And if we're doing this thing, then. Uh, uh, what do I need? Uh, no, I'm actually I'm okay for records right now. Um, there's always something. There's always something, Chris. No, there's God damn it. There's definitely something. But I think like right now I'm okay. I'm like I don't want to be for want of anything right now. I'm doing okay for records. I, I got I got some big things this year. Big wantless items taken care of already. And this is so, true. So I can rest on some laurels for a minute. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, I think we should finally crack open this mailbag because it's going to be a long ass show. Yeah, for sure. So the first one. Oh, on the the sentence, oh I didn't even review that. Oh, thing. sorry. The sentences were awesome. Oh, whatever. The sentences yeah. were awesome. Uh, great mix of songs. Do not know why Hope was second in the set, and I meant to bring this up to him. Um, because don't do you know? Do you know Milo goes to college? Are you familiar with that record at all, Chris? I don't know it well enough to like know okay. song titles and lyrics, but okay. yeah, I've, I've heard it in passing a few times. Yeah. Okay. I love that record. Um, especially side two to me, it's almost like that modern lovers LP where the second side is, is like the, <laughs> the, the, the ballady side. And the first side's got all the kind of like novelty ish fast songs on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, there's a song hope. I think it's like the second last song and the third last song. And I love that song. And they played it second. And it's such like a, a later in the set kind of song. Well, that, things like that kill me. That's actually a good point. Is like um, I'm always happy, especially with with bands that have like a big catalog. When they get to like, and I don't know if I would consider what you're saying like an obscure song for them or or whatever, not a fan mm-hmm. favorite or something. But well, that's like, definitely like, a fan favorite. That's like a big yeah. song for them, I'd say. So, but I like uh, what I'm trying to I guess say is like I like when you you they play like a a group will play like a I don't know like a deep cut and then and then you're like happy that they played it, mm-hmm. but then you the, the where they put it in the set it's it's like almost anticlimactic because they front load the set too much and then you're like oh you should have ended with this it's uh it's a pet peeve of mine to be honest but yeah like the Descendants have a new record out which is like really good and definitely incredibly well regarded by fans, you know, like people love this record. And there's like one of my favorite songs that the sentence have is on this new record. Cool. Yeah. Like there's like, there's some like, it's a, it's a good, it's a, it's a solid record. So they like, they had a good mix of songs, you know, they didn't play Christmas vacation, which is like one of my favorite songs and stuff, but they, you know, that's just me nitpicking, but they were, they were awesome. And every like, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Chris, and I think this will make you laugh, but years ago, uh, <laughs> I went to the Warp Tour in Buffalo, right? Yeah, I was there, yes. You you were at that one too? Okay. Yeah. So here's what happened. Like I went – I the day before, we met H2O, and of course, like a Punisher does, I uh, <laughs> asked them if I could be on the guest list the next night at their show. Uh, <laughs> and they said, sure, you know, and they're like, yeah, we'll put you on. <laughs> So I told like my friends, I'm like, and I'm like, oh, can these guys be on it too? And they're like, sure. So they like, put on my friend and his brother. <laughs> and then so we convinced his mom to drive us. So she like drove us <laughs> to Buffalo. And so for those of you not from this area, for Chris, it's like what, like a 20 minute drive, 30 minute drive? Not a little more, but for you, it's like a solid two hours. Yeah, like an hour. It's like definitely a two hour journey with the border and stuff and, and all yeah. that. So we get down there. 
and she drops us off and then she goes shopping at the outlet malls. That was her plan, right? And like to go <laughs> for lunch and stuff and just enjoy her day. And this is pre-cell phone, so we're there. And so we get off and then we walk all the way to the front to the box office and I get to the front box office and I'm like, hi, my name's Damien. I'm on H2O's guest list. And they're like, H2O hasn't put in their guest list. Like, <laughs> I've never heard the story. What do you mean? I'm not, I'm not on H2O's guest list. And they're like, uh, you're not on H2O's guest list. There's no guest list here, right? So by this point, now I recognize I have a panic disorder and that like, you know, I know how to handle myself a little bit better. At that point, I was like kind of freaking the fuck out. I'm like, what the fuck are we going to do? Oh my God. <laughs> Old day's over. And then, wow. And then, you know, I see Limo. And Limo at the time, I believe, was still working for Pennywise. And I okay. had met Limo the year before the Warp Tour when my brother <laughs> and I were doing our fake zine. And he gave us, uh, he had hooked us up w- with helping us get an interview with Pennywise, right? Okay. Uh, and so I'm like, Limo, Limo, Limo. Hey, my name is Damien. Do you remember me from last year at the Warp Tour? Uh, HUO was supposed to put us on the guest list, and they didn't put us on the guest list. And, uh, like, he was submitting, I guess, Pennywise's guest list at the time or something. And he's like, oh, and I'm wow. like, and I think they put us on the guest list, and now we can't get in. And, uh, you know, like, I'm, our, my friend's mom's not here, so we're just going to be stuck here all. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, and, and put these kids on the guest list, too. And, <laughs> and we and we walk in right, and we thought we were just getting in, and so I'm like, oh my god, thank you, and then they hand us backstage passes. <laughs> what? So and uh, so we walk in, and who do I first person I see is a very very often mentioned guest on this show, or not guest, but name on the show, you and Exol, and so. <laughs> I, I end up hanging out with Ewan for most of the day, and Ewan had a backstage pass too. I forget how. And uh, we walk backstage, and who do we see but Carl Alvarez of The Descendants. And then so Ewan and I proceeded to probably punish him for a good two and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> backstage. <laughs> just two both of us just going at, talking to him for hours. And he humored us and talked to us for the whole time. And I always thought, like, that guy's the coolest dude in the world, especially now that I'm in a band. Yeah, oh, my God, right. does that guy have the patience of a saint? And then I, you yeah. know, ran, you know, got to hang out with him again on this tour, and he is just as cool. Did you ever go over that with him? Do you remember you from then? Uh, I, I think he's probably blocked out that afternoon of punishment <laughs> specifically, but yeah. you know, I, I told him, I told the story every night on tour, uh, like, on stage. I was like, that's the one story I repeated because I'm just like, that meant a lot to me as a kid and stood out to me. And now as an adult, like it's, it's something that's kind of defined the way I try and interact with, with people, including people like myself, punishers. <laughs> that's a really good story. And I've actually, I've never heard that before. Surprisingly. Yeah. Um, we, it was a fun day of you and I backstage. <laughs> for the for the for the listening audience, uh, I can attest that both Damien and uh, this other individual are very long winded people. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So yeah, that's definitely not good. No one's getting off easy in that conversation. No, and imagine two two people that hadn't been through as much. You know, you and being a you know successful concert promoter that's done shows for a lot of his heroes bands at this point. And myself, who's been fortunate enough to play with a lot of my heroes' bands at this point. So we were both a little starstruck, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. It was a lethal cocktail. 
for Portland. That's the only time that year. That year was the only time I'd ever seen the Descendants. They were really, good. yeah. No, yeah. I I I fell in love with them around that time. Like that was definitely everything sucks came out. So yeah, you know, it was like a a moment of great, you know. Like kind of like we're in right now. Like these shows, every single show we played with the Descendants was sold out to the rafters, you know? And it like people lined up right away to try and get those shirts. They would do a limited edition shirt for every single show. And it was like, yeah, it was like a real kind of like fervor for this band. Cool. Cool. Well, I think they have like that audience that's like, you know, there's, I, I spoke to you the other day about this. Like, there's definitely the Descendants guy is a thing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, so. The Descendants all guy is 100% a thing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but yeah, very cool. How, how were you guys received in, uh, in those shows? Uh, they were, they were all, I had a great time at all of them. Um, you know, like, uh, I think uh, one, I'm not going to mention specific cities. One required <laughs> a little bit more effort to get the crowd into what we were doing. Um, yeah. but everywhere else, the, the audience was, I, I thought really, you know, considering the fact that people were basically waiting for the descendants, people were very understanding. It wasn't like opening for the arcade fire. Which <laughs> was a little more hostile, a little more hostile at that place. Foo Fighters, which I imagine, you know, I would have thought would have been potentially hostile was always awesome. Cool. Um, but yeah, and, and the, and the descendants crowd, I would say was always awesome too. Like even the one that was hard, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was because they're, they're fans or anything. It was more just because people were, uh, were, uh, needed to be warmed up that night. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. But that's what All we're right. there for. Yeah, true. So you were the only opener and then descendants or was there another? No, no, Nightbirds. Oh, sorry. That's right. Nightbirds played where? Before or after you though? Uh, oh, just, just before us. Oh wow! So that was the uh, yeah. So they really had to warm them up. You guys yeah. were like the middle, the middle portion. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. No, but it was it was it was a fun fun tour. Got to play with Cloak Dagger. Played the Omega Boys last show in Richmond. Um, it was a good. I went to the Amityville Horror House. Nice. Yep, in Amityville. Cool. I would imagine that's where it is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It could be like in you know Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. True. Good Not point. Kansas. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get in this fucking mailbag. All right, mailbag. I'm gonna take the first one. So, Norwegian correspondent Kel writes in uh, in reference to the Stearns, meaning from uh, Youth Brigade and or Better Youth Organization Records. Um, there was a movie about that whole Youth Brigade BYO thing. Uh, it was basically the people, and it wasn't just uh, Kelly wrote in about this. There was another person or two that had written in in reference to the documentaries that we were talking about or what have you. Uh, but there's uh, one, it's called Let Them Know, and it was a package uh, of two LPs, a CD and a DVD, and a coffee table book. Fun movie. I think actually, am I confusing this, or is there not a song? Isn't there like a... Uh, I remember like the LP or something. It, I don't know if it was just BYO artists, but there was something I thought like didn't Ben no, have a song yeah? On it them? was like bands covering uh, famous BYO artists. And yeah, but it's that Young on... Governor did Youth Youth Youth. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's on that, but either it's way, it's on that. It is on that. It is. It is on yeah. that. Okay. So I, we're we're vaguely familiar with this, of course, but for listeners, check it out for sure. I haven't seen that movie though. Have you watched it? That was the movie they screened in Toronto, um, and that I saw it 
where I don't think I saw it at the screening though. I must have seen it after that. Maybe at someone's house. And in in that movie, it tells that's where I first learned that they were from Forest Hill. The yeah, Stern brothers. Well, I always knew they were from somewhere around here. I didn't know where, but yeah. And then they mainly, I guess, they're known as as the L.A. band or whatever they are. I think they're from L.A., right? Yeah, not the, Yeah, they came from the same neighborhood that Drake did. <laughs> Two different, completely different trajectories. Yeah. Well, maybe I don't know. I would say yeah, I would say Youth Brigade is the Drake of the eighties. <laughs> okay, <laughs> especially yeah. when they became the Brigade. True. He goes on to mention that he likes loves the first LP and seven inch. I'm in agreement with that as well. Uh, I don't believe he heard any of the later stuff, but he mentions that the. What I wanted to bring up here, in the, because there's this another individual that wrote in about pop culture uh, punk stuff, is the Royal Crown Review uh, being in the mask, he mentions as well, the Jim Carrey movie. Oh, yeah. The 90s. And that is, yeah, the Stern Brothers as that group. I don't even know what the context of them being in the movie is, but they're just kind of playing well. Uh, what well is that was name? a Royal Crown Review is a real band. Oh, I know they're a real band, but I don't know if they were actually Royal Crown Review in the movie or it was just the group – and they were playing just like a band in the movie. I can't recall. But uh, what's her name? It's Cameron Diaz, I think. Is in the, well, I guess they're both in the scene. But it's some – within some club and Cameron Diaz is in there. Yeah. It's well, cool. Uh, and it also like this is you know very telling that the Stern Brothers were in a rockabilly band because we all know rockabilly is the, uh, the <laughs> punk rock retirement. You know, it's like, oh, I'm into – I got a pompadour now. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Not touching that one, to be honest. But <laughs> why? What do you? Why, Chris? You are the one I think who came up with that with me. No, I didn't make that up with you. That was definitely a thing before. I think I don't think you made that up either. It's no, gotta, I did I not was, make that up. But I, I, I must admit, I aptly agree. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't want it to uh, sound like I'm trying to like lay lay it on that that scene or whatever. Um, but. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's uh, let's go on to. Oh, have you ever discussed hardcore logo on the podcast? Yeah, that was the other part of that message. Also, real quick, let them know. Let them know. Yeah, let them know the movie dot com was uh, where to get info to that. Anyway, yeah, but the other part. Yeah, um, have you ever discussed hardcore logo the movie on the podcast? I don't think we have. No, like, we haven't. Um, Which is kind of insane, given all of the movies that have kind of come up in passing. Well, now I'm wondering if it, on the Colin Brunton episode if we do talk about it at all. Because Colin, Colin did Highway 61. Colin did a lot of the stuff with Bruce McDonald in the early years. And I don't know if yeah. he, he might have done a hardcore logo. I'm not 100% sure now. Um, uh, yeah, like, I have you, what, what are your, why don't you go first on this one, Chris? Well, it's ironic because a, Art House Theater in my area is actually, if not this week, showing it. Showed it last. Yeah, it was last, actually on the weekend because I was in Toronto. I was going to go watch it because uh, I didn't see it in the theater when it came out. But um, I enjoy the movie. Um, it, I haven't seen it in a while, mind you. But uh, I really like Callum Keith Rennie, one of the actors in it, who's a Canadian actor mm -hmm. uh, that has been in a number of things that people may have seen but he's sort of like an obscure very atypical canadian actor in a, in a true sense of the word where he's in a lot of canadian stuff and, and not as i find not as much of american had, stuff was he a memento he had like a breakout role in america yeah. yeah he did he was in like that he was in he's even been on like like some bigger t television shows like i don't know about hbo but like uh 
Showtime kind of shows and stuff like that. So he's around and he's definitely a working actor, mm-hmm. but I know him sort of from the, like the Canadiana aspect where you seem to see him more. But anyway, I really like him in that. And he actually plays, uh, which is all, it's all based on the book, right? Like who wrote that book? I can't remember who wrote it. Can't remember the guy's name. Let's look it up look right it up. now. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's the guy who, uh, was like in an indie rock, or not an indie rock band, like kind of like a Celtic folk band. Um, he wasn't in a punk band. It is, uh, who wrote it? Who wrote it? Canadian mockumentary adapted by Noel Baker, novel, the same name by author Michael Turner. Um, so I'd never read the book. I believe, uh, people said that the book is good as usual as a, and the movie, I don't know. I find the movie fine, but I don't know how, what the differences are. The book is, if I, uh, it's, I read this in high school, so I'm trying to remember now, but I think it. If I remember correctly, it's it's not like a straight narrative. It's like I believe there's like poems in it and all sorts of other things. Yeah. I might be completely off on that. So uh, why don't you read it for yourself out there instead of just taking <laughs> my word for it? Yeah. Uh, but the movie, movie I like. What did, what did you think of the movie? I liked it. I thought um, – I'm just trying to find out Michael Turner's band that he, uh, he was in. We can't find it. All right. Uh, I liked it. I, you know, I remember seeing like, there's like brief moments where you get to see the young Canadians in it, Art Bergman, DOA in the very beginning. Um, and they interview, yeah, I right. think they interview some of them. I think they might even interview someone from the subhumans, um, you know? Yeah. Um, I thought that stuff was cool. Um, it's like a little nineties <laughs> bravado Kinda. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like I want to. I want to disclaim. Yeah, I don't mean it's like the best movie ever in terms of it being like super representative yeah. of like how sick punk is. It's it's like uh, it's it's a very entertaining movie. I would say like the the parts in it that are great, like the the road stuff, which is weird because it that's another sort of CanCon aspect of the movie is that Hugh Dillon who plays Joe Dick is from the Headstones, a Canadian band. I don't know how much they broke into the U.S. But apparently, I mean, he's now really famous for not really famous, but he's he's definitely known in the U.S. for being the actor in the TV series Flashpoint. Ah, okay. I don't, yeah, I don't know that one, but um, but at the time he he was just you know whatever wasn't really a major actor at that point. I don't think. I think that's his but, first uh, big role, right? Yeah, is hardcore. Yeah, it would have been around there, but the uh, apparently a lot of the stuff that's like them because it's like a group on the road doing their like reunion final tour and it's like a ruse of this band uh a member of this band duping the others to do the tour for anyway watch it but there's a lot of road stuff where they're playing like road game like like specific games to stay awake stuff like that apparently that's all taken from headstones lore oh really yeah that was the um the whole thing in the movie. So I don't think any of that stuff's in the book, but it's amusing to watch from perspective now. I mean, of course it's a bit ridiculous, but uh, in terms of some of the stuff that happens, but, but yeah, it's kind of a neat, like, like peek into that whole kind of life. Uh, although it's definitely a sensationalized version of it, I would say. And I love the cover that they do of Sonic producer, which is kind of like the, the main song the band has. Yeah. Um, I just kind of, I've always like, you know, the headstones are such a mysterious band to me. Um, and like, you wonder if they have like a pre like punk kind of history, like a pre, you know, that. Well, I'm, cu- 
Well, I, I believe they probably would. I think, and more I think about it, actually, I think that that would be a good interview, perhaps, on your show. But, um, but just the idea that there's got to be connections because that you wouldn't think that everything in the movie is all just Bruce McDonald's, uh, you know, reach or something. You would think that some of that has to come from from them gigging around and knowing these people. Like, I even like the Art Bergman connections. I guarantee yeah. there's like because that. This group, for listeners who aren't aware of them, they were like a, a you know a radio rock band in Canada. This Headstones group, um, so they were like fairly big here at least. Uh, and at that time, like when they first, I don't know if I'd say when they first came up, but when they first sort of got notice, Art Bergman was doing like solo stuff here, and I like I remember seeing him on Much Music that at that time too, mm-hmm. being interviewed and stuff. I remember that. So there's there are these like kind of connections uh, that I'm sure you know someone out there could fill in the uh, the blanks for us. But anyway, yeah. Well, it's funny because Kingston is one of those places where, you know, both them and the Tragically Hip are, are you know, punk influence, but what came out is just so not necessarily in keeping with punk that came out of other places, even in Ontario. Yeah, agreed. But I think there's that, like, you know, there's that weird connection. Like, I, I, what was the, there's a connection even with the, Relating to the Tragically Hip studio guy or something was a punk dude. Weren't you mentioning that or someone on a previous interview? Uh, yeah, someone on a previous interview I think mentioned it. But also, I like just talking to Gord, like, you know, like they were the bands like, you know, it was kind of like Blue Rodeo. But Blue Rodeo early on was like straight out of the hi-fis. Like they were directly out of the punk scene. And, you know, Teenage Head and kind of like that was the, the influence of stuff that they were into. You know, and, and, and also, like, American stuff, too, and, and English stuff they were into in post-punk. But, like, what kind of came out of them is just very different than what other people's definitions of punk music was. Yeah, yeah. I, I fully agree. I still think that in, like, perhaps it's just from my, like, or you and I, we like to kind of dissect that weird, like, era of, like, how, it, how these Canadian roots kind of go back to punk things or whatever, but... Um, anyway, interesting group, but they're, they're, you know, the main, the lead actor in the movie arguably is from that group. So if you're, um, curious, you can seek them out. Uh, I wouldn't call them a punk band really, but no, like it's uh, alternative rock, but definitely there is like, especially in his vocal delivery, it's got like a, like a, a snottiness to it that is punk, punk reminiscent. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a cool movie. I, I don't know what else really to say other than, I don't know, I enjoy it. And I wanted to see it recently. But, yeah, good uh, good mention for bringing it up, though. I'm kind of shocked we haven't talked about it more. Yeah, well, well Bruce McDonald's someone else I'd love to have on one day. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, his movies are great, so it would be cool to hear, like, the, you know, the makings of them, what, you know, what tales existed beyond you know, what you saw, but, um, yeah. And for listeners that aren't familiar, yeah, Bruce McDonald's movies, check them out. Um, hardcore logo is probably the biggest and the most recent, I think. Yeah. Well, not, not the most recent. He definitely did stuff after that, but hardcore logo is probably the, certainly like Quentin Tarantino re-released it. I remember in the late nineties yeah. and yeah. it is, is certainly his most well, I wouldn't say yeah, probably well known at this point. He also did Highway uh, sixty one and Roadkill, and he did he he had other movies prior to that that you know are feature cameos from people like Joey Ramone and and uh, Jell Biafra yeah. and yeah. whatnot. Jell Biafra's cameo in I believe it's Highway sixty one is incredible. Yeah, uh, 
Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, great, great movie, great director. Check that out. Um, we finally did that. We'll probably discuss it more in the future. Hopefully, you'll interview him. Yeah, like I really, you know, like well, all of them. I would love to have, uh, you know, love to have you, Dylan, on. Be interesting. So if you know him and know that he was into punk or something, tell him to get at us. Yeah, for sure. And tell him to hit up footnotes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out a punk footnotes at gmail.com or, you know, how to reach Dave. Oh, Art Bergman's in, uh, in highway 61 too. I yeah. I think a lot of them, a lot of like, there's, there's multiple appearances by some of these people in those movies. I'm not shocked to hear that at all. Tab Falco too, from the Panther Burns, isn't it? Yeah. Even there's like, because this is the place for it on this show, I like at the beginning of the hardcore logo, you were saying all the like the more classic bands they show at this like fake benefit concert thing that's in the movie. But yeah. Flash, the Flash Bastard has like a very tiny cameo in it too, and it's great. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it. it's, uh, it's just a cool movie. Check it out if you haven't already. Yeah, it's certainly, certainly one of the, uh, uh, one of the one of the great Canadian movies. Yes, which there are not as many of. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately not. <laughs> no, no. Um, but that's a separate podcast. Yes, it turned out a Canadian cinephile. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the next email, I guess. Yeah. So Dave Martin wrote in. It's a pretty well. It's a sort of a quick one. He asked. Oh, this if is you can ice- Oh, yes. Well, you can take it or whatever. I don't know. No, no. Well, he wants – sorry. Well, I guess he wants to know if I can ice skate. Yes. Um, which, uh, yeah, a little bit, Dave, you know. <laughs> uh, you have to explain what that's a reference to though. What is that a reference to? I was trying to pick that up. It's because you, your band put up a video of you guys. Oh. Ice and that's, that's right. what the, yeah, the question that's... in relation to. That's right. We did a collaboration – or a live uh, a, a jam off with uh, <laughs> with the organist from the Montreal Canadiens, and she is Diane. She's amazing. She was awesome and to hang out with. And we were on a skating rink while people played hockey in front of us. And then, but a famous hockey player was the referee. I don't know. Do you know who that was, Chris? <laughs> it's amazing. The uh, I, from what I remember hearing, yeah. I want to say it was Guy Carboneau or no? Yeah, that sounds or familiar. Or was it uh, – I don't remember what you guys put up, but it was definitely someone of major note that you're just going, ah, some guy. <laughs> like, it would be like Hulk Hogan. Like it's seriously that – Yeah, but huge. it's not Hulk Hogan, is it, Chris? <laughs> no. It's not anything like that. The <laughs> hockey equivalent in a good way, not, well, not in the no, modern well, hockey. The hockey equivalent of Hulk Hogan would be like Wayne Gretzky or Ron Hextall. Fair. Okay. Wayne Gretzky then, <laughs> let's say. Ron Hextall. Where'd you pull that one out? That's a great one. <laughs> That's my favorite hockey player. Goaltender that liked to hit people with a stick. Fantastic. And he scored two goals or three goals. He did. You are correct. Look at you. I knew sports when, I, when, I, when the cards <laughs> mattered to me. <laughs> anyway, yes. Uh, we're going off topic here. Yeah. I'm just trying to look it up because it made uh, some things to uh, say who it was. There was actually like a very misleading uh, whatever uh, link that was like floating around. And it was something like fucked up against, you know, or like plays versus Montreal. It was something crazy, but it made it sound like you guys were like playing uh, the Canadians in hockey. Yeah, and it was Guy Carboneau, as I had alluded to earlier. He was the referee. Um, 
The only but, hockey uh, player I care about, Chris, is Boyd Devereaux. <laughs> Good point. Fair enough. Um, but either way, uh, that's why Dave asked. Now let's digress onto the other part of Dave's message here, which is very good. Yes. Uh, it uh, says also Dave's Brian. Sorry, Dave. Dave's Brian's Nightbirds letter. Am I reading that right? Yeah, that it, yeah. Also, because remember, he, Dave, uh, Dave, David up told a story on oh, last oh, week's oh. footnotes about Brian from the Nightbirds writing oh, yes, letters yes. to bands all the time. Like <laughs> that is correct. Like Bond Squad. Yeah, go on. Yeah, and then uh, it he I guess somehow Dave Martin has come into acquisition of a fan letter that. I guess we should try and find a way to put this up, but we've got to obscure the phone number. And yeah, we'll have to have do some work. But um, but yeah, I like that it starts, Dear Necros. <laughs> yeah, Dear Necros. <laughs> and it's from someone. Are we going to read it or are we just going to mention it here? I would just mention it. Like, yeah. I don't know. Is there anything really? There's nothing that's in here that really stood out for me when I read it the first time. But no, I can't. it definitely uh, seems like a letter that I would have written to a band. <laughs> it's just funny to see it. Dave, the other message too, has it like in a collage bonus free vintage Necros fan mail. Oh yeah, he wrote that. Okay, but he's got it. Why does he have the Ramones self-titled? I guess he just, <laughs> like, well, and also quote. I'm trying to figure out like either that's a fucking huge envelope or that's a Ramones self-titled seven inch. It looks to be in in comparison to the the actual letter, but yeah, it'd be a seven inch size. That's not an LP. That's not a 12-inch. No. So. Either way. What's that? Uh, <laughs> people can't see the photo, so this is kind of going nowhere. But either <laughs> way, very cool. We'll try and put up uh, – we, we like this kind of funny stuff that has like very endearing qualities. Yeah. I've never really written any bands actually in my life. You have, I believe. Yeah, I wrote to some bands. I don't think I ever got a letter back though. But then Frodus one time sent me a letter. Frodus did? Like yeah. the, the – Wow. And I saw Jason uh, from Frodus, Jason Hemmacher, former guest, this weekend yep. in in D.C. Nice. Yep. Cool. Yep. Uh, okay, so do you want to take this next one or do you want me to take the next one here? Uh, do you want to take the next one or hmm. – Yeah, I'll okay. take it. Okay, well, so, go for it, Chris. So uh, we had a listener write in, Adam G., who's in Japan, wrote in uh, about a recent interview sort of that uh, – reaches our sensibilities again on this show, but it's by the uh, amazing Nardwar. Uh, it's a link, but it's, it's got, yeah, it's got someone by the name of Anderson Pack, who admittedly, I don't know much about, but apparently seems to be some kind of bigger, I don't know, uh, not like, like an R and B sort of thing. I think I'm not quite sure, but uh, anyway, uh, in the interview, the first thing of course, Nardwar does is give him a black flag, nervous breakdown, uh, of course, a bootleg or a repress, uh, and and he apparently this this uh, individual talks about Nardcore and Black Flag, and he's like really into all that. I haven't, admittedly, I haven't watched the full interview yet, but I've seen that part. I watched those parts, yeah, and he like and he definitely goes on kind of about being into ill repute and like sort of the story of getting into that stuff and a friend who played in a punk band, and then also at the end, Nardwar, I don't bust out a Cramps Gravest Hits. Uh, and you know, he flips out, Anderson Pack flips out and is very stoked because says he's getting into the cramps and, you know, talks to, and is like, is like rest in peace, Lux interior. And yeah, it's, a, it's actually like a super cool interview. Like Nardwar, 
is the goat, you know, like yeah. for his style of interview, uh, which is I like my favorite style of interview. No one does it better. And like, no. And this is why is because he gets, you know, moments like this. I agree. I think that the, the key with him too is his silliness is often like, uh, like, you know, almost it's like he's disregarded by a lot, but his research is unbelievable. Oh yeah. No, he, he like, to me, that's, I, I fucking hate when you hear an interview with someone and they don't know anything about the person they're interviewing. Yes. Cause it's just like, why waste my time? Like, like I don't, I can, you know, this is like, you know, and occasionally it yields cool results, but for the most part, you know, Nardwar, I would say is like 95% of the time, 99% of the time. It's a amazing interview because he knows so much and just takes people on these interesting journeys. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and, uh, I think obviously he he was mildly an inspiration for you. I would I would imagine. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh, yeah, uh, Nardwar is yeah Nardwar is one of the main Nardwar and Cole Cabana. <laughs> what a what a duo. That's what I want to be. Nardwar nice. What about if what about if he interviewed Cole Cabana? You'd lose your mind. Uh, I don't think it'd be that. You know, like Cole admits that he's not really a music guy. He kind of says that a lot on the show. Um, so I don't know if they would have, I would love to hear, there's definitely wrestlers I would love to hear Nardwar kind of go with. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's definitely wrestlers I would love to go with Chris. I mean, the podcast, <laughs> it's not fight because you know, I'm not <laughs> under any illusion in that regard. <laughs> okay. Um, but Great, yeah, but if, if, you got to check this out. We're going to post this because like all Nardwar things, it's worth watching, but this especially for us is yes. worth watching and Anderson Pack. If you know Anderson Pack and and think that uh, you would enjoy being on the show, I think we could have a really cool conversation. There you go. Turned out a punk. Um, anyway, let's uh, I guess move on to Jeff email. G has sent in. Oh, and also thank you for that, Adam. That was a really cool find. Uh, not that you know, I just I should just watch every Nardwar video, but there's just so much stuff these days. Yeah. I like there was a point, Chris, where I think I had seen every Nardwar interview. Well, what I like these days is it's it's uh, if the era of YouTube. It seems to be uh, captured a little more easily. Before, I remember like reading a lot of them, and like I think it was Flipside, and uh, well, yeah, he would do the, he would do those radio ones, but I mean like the televised ones, he would do the compilations, right? So you'd see them all on the compilations. Yeah. Both of those DVDs, I don't know if they're DVDs anymore, whatever, Blu-ray, whatever, or I doubt they're Blu-rays. No, I don't think they're Blu-rays, sure. yeah. But uh, they're excellent. If anyone has not seen them out there, they're well worth watching. Anyway. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, there is, yeah, like, few people that have generated more incredible comment, content. Uh, yeah. Jeff G., the other Strummer doc. In a previous episode, you rightly criticized the Joe Strummer doc. I recommend Julian <laughs> Temple's The Future is Hundred. I don't know. I, I was really harsh on that. Like that is a very well loved documentary, but uh, you know, I, I just can't get past the interviewing everyone by a fire type thing. Uh, I had actually meant to recommend Let's Rock Again, which was made when Joe was still alive and was about. Uh, and is about his touring with the Mescaleros and struggling to stay relevant. I much prefer that one. The list of docs was my uh, no means meant to be all encompassing, but someone asked you about introductions into punk, so I thought they would be a good first step for someone coming in blind. Yeah, 100% agree. No, that was a great list. And uh, 
Yeah, like I, I want to see this doc. I like. I think this is, um, you know, this this is something that would be more what I'd be into seeing. Like, not less of the hero. <laughs> I love watching you struggle, having to like try and compliment anything Clash related. No, I like, I like, and that's the thing. Like, I like them, and I really respect like the fact that he did what he did. But at the same time, that movie is, it's got some moments, you know. I apologize for my laughter. This is purely me in a friendship mode here with Damien just enjoying the, uh, uh, anyway. The struggle. It's, it's the years of other things that, that lead up to this that, that make me very amused. Anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, let's rock again. I too have not seen, and of the two of us, I actually really like The Clash and Joe Strummer. Uh, not that Damien doesn't, let's say, like him or what have you, but, uh. No, don't worry, Chris. We'll talk misfits soon enough. And we'll talk descendants <laughs> soon enough. And then we'll, but, we'll see, uh, we'll see you squirm. <laughs> the Mascaleros. That era I find particularly interesting because it's sort of that end end era, and I think his last record uh, is really great with the Mascaleros before he passed. So I'd be into into watching that for sure. Yeah, anyway. I would definitely be into watching that too. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's move on to uh, another email regarding yeah. uh, recommendations, and this one is looking for recommendations from Vince G. Do you have the Police Line recordings? Hi, dude. Love the podcast. I heard you mention Police Line a couple times on the podcast. I'm trying to hear their music. Uh, well, I don't have it. And I don't know if there is a discography CD or anything like that, but I'm sure it's all on YouTube, right? It's got to be. We're looking. I'll look it up now. I didn't. Uh, this is probably where we should have pre-researched. <laughs> no, this is what people like. They like hearing the tippity taps of our our fingers on the computer. Yeah, it's for the drinking game, folks out there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, every time they go to Discogs, every time they type in the computer. Yeah, uh, I can't seem to find it by a general search. It might be on here somewhere, but there is no. There isn't a discography either. Um, but yeah, yeah, there there isn't. Is it uh, this band? Is do I have the right one from Albany? Yeah, because I don't know this group either. But ninety eight to two thousand two. Yeah, the, I, they the, they they had a uh, a great single sided seven inch on Human Stench that is fantastic. Um, they had a split with Devoid of Faith that Puss had put out on Bacteria Sour. Yeah, uh, and they had a. Another seven inch, and they did a record for Deranged, which Gord didn't like because it was too. Uh, I think I think he said it was like too, too like emo at the time or something like that. <clears throat> they were definitely going towards a different direction. And the first gotcha. time we played Albany, I was like, I would love to play with Police Line, and they got back together and played. And uh, it was one of their last shows. And then the lead singer went into do Story of the Year and something else after that. Huh. That's funny. That's a crazy connection. I'm not aware of that at all. But okay, um, the I'm just trying to look up to see if any of the actual just single records are online, but I don't. Uh, I don't even find those. Yeah, there, I can't believe that. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like I was here. I was so dismissive. Like you could find this shit. Like why am I? But no, I guess I was wrong. Wow. Like no, I and I don't unfortunately have these on my computer at all. So I guess I'm just as out of luck if I want to listen to them now. <laughs> The link that the link off of the resources website is an angel fired. Oh, sorry, not story of the year, end of the year, end of the year. Pardon me. Yeah, yeah, it's not. And self defense family, of course. And 
Yeah, even the even the link website, like I said, is Angel Fire. It's totally, it's not. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but either way, I'm sure uh, the bacteria sour record might be difficult to track down. The other ones seem like things that you might be able to find fairly easily if you like digging, though. Yeah, uh, the Paul the drummer uh, plays in uh, <clears throat> in uh, Limpress now. Oh, okay, cool, and. Uh, or at least that last lineup, and then two. Oh, yeah, two of the members are in uh, end of the year, and we're in South Fifth Family. Well, there you go. Sorry, we couldn't provide you. We'll look it up if I can find anything in in uh, whatever off of off air, if you will. I'll post it uh, to the to the Facebook and all that business. Yeah, I, I liked them because they did have that kind of like, and I guess that's more end of the year kind of reflective. Um, they had that real kind of post punk like melodic post-punk kind of post-hard. I don't know. I don't know what you've called Leatherface, but that kind of style yeah, yeah. stuff, but like with kind of raging hardcore. Yeah. I, I dug them. I think, yeah. Once again, as Chris says, bacteria sour stuff's always tricky ish, but it's not, doesn't go for that much money on bacteria sour. I just mean though, you don't tend to find that. Yeah. Thing. That's what I mean. And I think yeah. that human stench one, uh, is kind of hard to find too. The single, yeah, it could be. Uh, and all, the demo, I remember being sick too. But, but uh, yeah. Anyway, but they're not a lot of money either on the no. resource. And by the resource, we mean a certain website which tends to catalog records. Uh, if you know that website, you should probably look this up, and you can probably get all of this stuff for. I would say, oh well, bacteria sour is a little bit much, but the other three you could probably get for under twenty dollars. Yeah, you uh, can, outside you can. of shipping. Yeah, you could you could complete your Discogs yeah. shopping on this and and still have enough money left over to get yourself pizza. Yes, you could probably, uh, you know, maybe whatever. I don't know what Victim and Pain goes for these days, but you could probably buy a hundred of these. Yeah, a <laughs> hundred of these, and then you would you would have bought a Victim and Pain. But um, holy anyway. well, Chris. Uh, click on the second version of the Devoid of Faith Police Line Split. Yeah, the one I looked up was like forty bucks, but there's another. Which one? The one that's one thousand one hundred seventy-eight dollars. Oh, okay. Never mind. Eighteen copies exist. Super rare, boy limited, <laughs> skeletal carnival, black labels. Oh, well, there we go. With green frog and red insert. I spoke too soon. You could buy this instead of a victim of pain. Yeah, exactly. Like I would advise against that strongly. But, uh, yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> but, uh, well, I wonder how much the other pur- like the purple ones go for. Who knows? Like, Pusshead stuff is so fucking crazy. Yeah. You have to interview him as well, by the way. But, uh, that's a whole other story. Get it? Yeah. Like, uh, he had a big event in New York when I was in New York, but I didn't get a chance to go. Well, he's got to be on eventually. Well, you, once again, for all of you out there that are friends with uh, the septic death front person, tell them to get in touch. <laughs> yes. Uh, next email, you want to jump? Uh, sure. Uh, sure. Yeah, some documentaries you missed. Just some documentaries I'm pretty sure you missed in last week's footnotes. Ugh, it's a music war. Blitzkrieg Bop, the CBGB story, which is awesome. It has incredible dead boys footage, Blondie footage and Ramones footage. Uh, but I'm pretty sure the, 
the Dead Boys footage at least has been released separately as that Target video. That's the Dead Boys live at CBGB's, but I'm not totally sure of that. But I, I, it looks very familiar. Uh, Los Punks, Urban Struggle, The Battle of the Cuckoo's Nest, The Dam, Don't You Wish uh, We Were Dead, Another State of Mind, All the Dave Markey Films, and if you're going to include Repo Man, you have to include Suburbia. P.S. Martin mm-hmm. Crudis's film be, was Beyond the Screams, uh, Mas a la de los Cretros. Yeah, I don't know. We're terrible at Spanish. Apologies. We're terrible at Spanish. Uh, but I will say that, uh, yeah, Beyond the Screams, I think he had another one, though, Martin. I'm not sure. I, I haven't seen, actually, admittedly, I haven't seen most of them. I haven't seen that, that CB's one. I don't know why. I have not seen that. It's kind of rare, the CB's one. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I haven't seen a lot of these. i got to check out a bunch of these. The damn one's fantastic. Another State of Mind, obviously. I think we talked yeah, about Another State of Mind, didn't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Extensively in the 100-foot yeah. note. <laughs> and, and, and the Dave Markey ones we talked about as well, because uh, that is includes 1991, the year punk broke. Which is uh, yes. a very important movie to me. Um, yes, absolutely. And Suburbia, I don't believe we talked about that that much either. But and not to be confused with the Richard Linkletter Suburbia, which came out in the late '90s. You're talking about the one that's in whatever I don't know, it came out in the '80s, I think. Yeah, with Flea and yeah. uh, the Vandals and Di and uh, does it not have a cameo of uh, whatever the, that Berkeley venue in it too? The Gilman. Yeah, isn't the Gilman in it? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, but maybe, maybe I gotta go back and watch. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a good while either. Yeah, I think it would have been pre-Gilman, definitely. Uh, it, yeah, like I, I, I like Repo Man more as a movie than I do Suburbia. Yeah, like, agreed. I remember, tr- like, I've seen Suburbia definitely, like, more than once, which to me is too many times, and I've probably seen it like <laughs> a dozen times. Um, <laughs> I do enjoy the band sequences in them in there. Don't like that scene where that, you know, the, the assault happens and, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I find that movie more kind of punk exploitation, whereas repo man, I find kind of like a, a, a good movie, like a punk art house film. Yeah, it's good. Repo man is a better movie. I, I believe too. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for those because, Los Punks. What is Los Punks? I got to look that one up because that sounds very familiar. But now I'm it's I'm blanking on what it is. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, there's if anyone also links to these. Feel free to send it our way too, and we will try and uh, figure out a way to get it to the folks. Uh, oh, hey, Los Punks is that the new the newish one about <laughs> uh, the L.A. East L.A. backyard um, Chicano punk scene. Cool. Um, and it's uh, and it, yeah it. It looks fucking incredible. You know, like, and that's a scene that I really don't know that much about. Like, the only band, like, you know, there's probably more, but, like, the band that I think from that scene that got out the biggest was probably Union 13. Yeah, I, I again, I that's a blank spot for me, too. But, yeah, I've, I've, I think I've even seen Union 13, I think. I've never, but, I don't uh, think I've ever seen it, but I, I actually go back and listen to that, um, that, that first Epitaph record. It's like, it's still fucking amazing. Cool. Yeah, I, I haven't listened to the records in a while, but I remember. I, I feel like I saw them in the nights, but I don't know why, how, how, or where I would have. If you can't remember seeing them, then maybe I didn't. But uh, yeah, I definitely remember that record though being sort of like 
uh, I had a lot of friends who seemed to listen to the, I can't remember what, what record it would have been. One of those Epitaph records or whatever the label they were on. I was like about. Hellcat Epitaph. Hellcat Epitaph. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. The first one. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? Yeah. Yeah, that song was sick. That cover is kind of hard to like forget. But uh, yeah. No, I didn't see this band. I was confusing with someone else. I definitely didn't see this band. Um, but that, yeah, so like that's a scene that I know very little about. There's a book apparently coming out or it's already out and uh and uh but yeah that's sorry blowing up people people asking me about weed events (laughs) people asking me to buy weed don't don't. (laughs) it hasn't gone that desperate in the old music world people don't worry We got a big uh, well. Thank you for the the docs. Uh, well, I'm gonna hop on here because this one I'll read, and then yep. you can take go, your go for uh, it. take your weed email. <laughs> no, I'm not, uh, I'm not taking my weed email, but I might take a little weed. <laughs> um, subject: It's been a while from Ryan T. Um, I keep forgetting to write things down that I want to write in about, and then can't remember what episodes the things I want to write in about were. Uh, not this time. Going back a few episodes to the Miller and footnote, super stoked you guys talked a little about the Satanic Surfers and Rodrigo. I remember the day my friend brought, or sorry, bought Hero of Our Time at HMV in the punk section purely for the album art. And holy shit, were we stoked when we got it home and listened to it. Began the love of the band that I still hold to the day to this day. I even saw them once while Rodrigo was drumming and singing at the same time, uh, including punk jams mid song. Including Punk Jumps mid-song. Yeah. Any, have you ever seen any of that footage, Chris? Or seen? Do you see the no. Nightmare? No. That dude did. gets like insane air from a sitting position. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, it's like I, I, to see this. Like you know, forget Phil Collins. This is the true singing drummer. <laughs> nice. Um, to continue, uh, that shit blew our minds. The jump. There you go. Uh, yep. I always felt that should have been a bigger in the Epifat days, but I think it boiled down to their well, to their ethics. I don't want to cut you off because we, this is going to be a great email to go into. But you know, as far as why they might not have gone on, uh, have you ever seen the cover art, Chris, for Hero of Our Time by Satanic Surfers? No. Well, I maybe not that I can recall. Like it's, I'm, I'm shocked that this guy said that's what drew his his friend to buy it that day, because, uh, like, look at that oh, the first one. Yeah, yeah. The first cover. Yeah, yeah like, what about it? I don't know. Like, I, like <laughs> I just, I don't think that break that that is that is no heavy petting zoo as far as covers go. No, not at all. It's not. It's awful. Like, yeah, it's that's not, what I'm saying. It's not awful in a. Uh, uh, you know, whatever, like, like morally deplorable, awful. It's just like, yeah, it's very nineties. I'll say that much nineties, whatever this, this vibe, but, uh, yeah, that is and interesting. Also, that... Are you, uh, are you on Google image search for them right now? No, I'm on the resource. Okay. If you go into the Google image search, there's a photo of them a little bit of ways down to illustrate how cool, like how much next level Swedish pop punk is from like epifat stuff in North America. The shirts that they're wearing is Rodrigo's wearing a vision streetwear shirt. Dude in the back can't see one dude's wearing a disclosed shirt and the other dude's wearing an avail shirt. And this photo is probably from like 1990 something. Wow. Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, but their interview sort of illustrated that they were, or sorry, the Millencolm guys were were definitely down with some some really hard stuff. Oh, absolutely. So this, That's what I'm saying. Millencolm, like the Swedish yeah. punk scene in general. Yeah, agreed. Well, it makes sense. There's some great ones in their own backyard. So, you oh, know, there's another one where they're wearing Doom shirts. Like, imagine that would like, <laughs> lead you down so many amazing paths. Like, you know, when you're like a kid and you're like looking at the shirts the bands are wearing. And that's yeah. who you're buying your records off of. You're like, imagine you're like looking at Satanic Surfers, then you're going to like to Doom. Yeah, that that would be a big jump. But, big jump. <laughs> but uh, you wrote a little more here. I'll, I'll continue really quickly. Uh, the year I saw them at Snow Jam in Vancouver, Damien, they started their set by telling the audience that they were bummed that Universal was sponsoring the tour and they wouldn't have agreed to do it if they knew. Regardless, here of our time in 66 Motor Inn, and their split with 10-foot pole are absolute skate punk classics. It would be fucking amazing if you could get Rodrigo on. I'd love to hear an interview with him. And Intensity's first two albums are great as well. Their deranged release is good too, but their first two is where it's at. Yeah, I 100% agree. Are barely a minute. Yeah, I, I, uh, the Intensity, I remember liking one of them. I haven't listened to it in a very long time. but uh, That one yeah, Intensity record with the... Uh... Uh, oh, that that first one on Bad Taste, the one that was like a CD. I think it only ever came out as a CD. It is one of my favorite records from that era. Uh, You're talking the Wash Off the Lies record, I th- perhaps? I guess. Like we look, I'm going into from in the 19- resource. It's got a tree on the cover. No, no, it'll be the one after that. Oh. I get bought and sold on Bad Taste Records before that from '96. Before that, the first one. Yeah. There you go. Cool. I've not heard that one. The one I'm familiar with was the one I mentioned there, the wash off there, wash off the lies. But, um, yeah. Oh, and if like- anyone has the 10 inch of this, please, uh, let me know. Cause I would love the 10 inch of this on vinyl. It's on Ghanai records. Yeah. This is going to be like, this would probably be like, that that's like this would be a good thing to have as a topic on the show, but the best ten inches of all time because I would have this definitely on my list. <laughs> nice. Well, that is the format of of collectors that I think is least liked. Yeah, uh, speak. There's a couple good ones like the Integ one. Yeah, you're right. That is a good one. There's a few. There, there's definitely a few big like good ten inches. Yeah, but uh, overall, it's just kind of annoying because it's hard to file and whatever. But yeah. It was a, it was the format of Man's Ruin Records. Yeah, you're right. Like that's when that sort of popped off. I feel like that kind of that, and I I hesitate to say like novelty aspect because by no means is it nearly as novelty driven as what is happening now in the record making industry. Oh, God, but yeah, oh, but God, uh, yeah. yeah, for that time, yeah, there was definitely that kind of uh, thing going on. Um, I just think of like desert session records that are 10 inches which is not saying they're bad it's just that those are the ones i remember people like ordering when i worked at a record store yeah and those people are very rich now <laughs> wasn't just that person but <laughs> no no i'm not saying that no i didn't mean i know <laughs> oh, those records it. go for a ton of money i misunderstood what you were saying but yes no, that, no. that was equally applicable no i don't um, think i don't think he in, he's i think he's bottom post uh, then, because I don't think he had a lot of vinyl. I think it was all he had all of them on CD. Gotcha. Uh, he who shall not be named. Uh, anyway, the uh, that was the that message there. I don't know if you wanted to go in any more on what you already talked about there. I think we kind of touched on it, but no, I think wanted... that I, I agree that they're a, a underrated band, and I think 
I think like once again, like you look at all those Swedish bands from that scene and they were all so next level, like Millen Collin, Satanic Surfers, Randy. Randy's a, a really fascinating band because that band switched up their sound with every record. Yeah, I like some later Randy records for sure. I love or that one that's one. like a propaganda record. Uh, yeah, that's the, I like that, like that one's all right. I like the one that, why can't I find the freaking, the resource is not helping me out now. But, um, anyway, they had a late record. I cannot remember what the hell it's called that I really enjoy still to this day. It sounds like it's it's very hivesy in a way or whatever, like late, it sounds like late hives. Uh, it is called Randy the band. That's what they're in there as welfare problems. That's it. That's yeah. the record. Yeah. I always forget the name of it. That's a good record. But uh yeah, I like the, one... the the rest is silence. The first one sounds like no effects kinda. But the next one, the rest is silence. Whoosh. That's a I classic. guess you know Human Atom Bombs sounds similar to Welfare Problems too. Those two records I could hang with like sonically, but Welfare Problems has some has some good jams on it. It's very like hivesy. It came out on vinyl? Which the oh. fruit? What are you, which one are you talking about? Uh, Randy, rest is silence. Oh yeah. Whoa! I gotta get this <laughs> on Rugger Bugger Discs in the United Kingdom. Yeah, that, yeah, that's Sean from Sean Forbes, uh, Fat Bob nice. from Hearts. There you go. Well, you're pretty sure. Write, write an email to. Wow, that is a lot more expensive than I would have expected. Dude, look at this discography. This is like an incredible label. Like Huggy like Bear, like Snuff, like Randy. Oh, they put out the Randy Ska uh, record. I gave that to my brother. Nice. Did you ever hear that record what, where they did a whole record which, of the Ska band, Randy? No. What is the awesome. – what Huggy Bear did they do? Oh, Main Squeeze. I have this record. Yeah. Cool. I don't know. I don't remember that. It must be a split thing. Guns and Wankers too. Yep. Damien. <laughs> yep. No. Well, that's oh. that's a that's a uh, side project from the old. Uh, the it's old, not snuff, uh, is it? Snuff. Is it? Yeah. 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 Uh, Milling Colin Records. This mob is that the late a late later? Oh, it's a comp. Okay. Yeah, it's a later comp for the the UK mob, right? Subhuman yeah. sounds. A label. This is a label. <laughs> I think it's so funny because I've like I, I've got a lot of records on this label, but I didn't realize how much like a lot of stuff that I'm not as into. But they put out some incredible stuff. Yeah, a J Church discount split. If that split could only know how important those two bands would become. <laughs> nice. I don't remember how we got on this topic, Randy and everything else, but either way. Uh, we were talking about Scott. We were talking about Swedish punk. Oh, there we go. Yeah, we're going through the list of all the amazing Swedish bands out there. Yeah, this next email is a monster. There's two next monster ones, but this one has got a lot of different citations that I think we should get to if, if we're not done dissecting weird Swedish. No, go on. Punk. So this one here is punk and pop culture from Josh L. And uh, it's on the subject of punk and pop culture, of course. Uh, seeing Debbie Harry on the Muppet Show, I just wanted to highlight punk, punk sensibilities in cartoons. Lux Interior uh, on SpongeBob SquarePants as the singer parrot in the band called Bird Brains. Okay. I've never seen that. Have you, Damien? Yeah. Yep. And apparently, Blag Dahlia. I had no idea that was Lux, though. That's funny. Yeah. But Blag 
also wrote a song for SpongeBob called Do the Sponge. And the voice of Sponge, Tom Kenny, apparently was in a power pop band. Uh, really? With Bobcat Goldthwait. He was in the, he, oh, that's Tom Kenny was in that band. Oh, fuck. Yeah. There you go, buddy. Oh, no, that's, I did know about Bobcat being in the band, but I did not know Tom Kenny was in that band. Cool. And then it mentions here, too, there was a show on Nickelodeon in the 90s called The Adventures of Pete and Pete, featured Iggy, Debbie Harry. Uh-huh. Uh, that's come Pete up on this Pierce. show before. Oh, okay. Kate so, Pearson of the B-52s, Michael Stipe, Gordon Gano, Final Femmes, uh, David Johansson as a kid. I didn't know uh, they were having a punk rock dad. Sorry. They are having a punk rock dad and him going like, whoa, that's Iggy, makes that stand out to you as a kid. Um so that was a mention there. I don't know that show. I don't remember that one. I don't. I don't know if we got that show. Oh, no, because we didn't have Nickelodeon here, right? Like it was. Yeah. We had a fairly different uh, TV. We had slightly different TV experiences than our neighbors to the south. Yeah, this next one's cool too because I've we definitely got the show, but I don't remember this. But Shonen Knife had a song on Powerpuff Girls. Uh, I remember Devo, that. Yeah, Devo had a song on it as well. Apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, also remembers the special was on the Cartoon Network and Drew Barrymore was hosting. It was a bunch of bands performing cartoon theme songs. It was a record too that came out. That's where the Ramones famously did Spider Man, and it was oh, a okay. single from that. Yeah, Ramones, Reverend Horton Heat, Butthole Surfers, Face to Face, Violent Femmes were on it. Um, mentions as well Henry Rollins as a villain in a cartoon Batman Beyond. I did not see that, but that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that's else? a cartoon. He must just do the voice, right? Yeah. Uh, even beyond recognizing punk sensibility in shows like Pee Wee's Playhouse, the art direction on that show was really captivating. As a kid, uh, it was done by Gary Painter, who did Jimbo Comics, the Screamers logo. Wow. Yep. And even his wife was the manager of for the Germs. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize there was a Pee Wee's Playhouse connection to that. That's crazy. Well, uh, yeah. makes yeah. sense though. Yep. And uh, yeah, I love seeing punk. You know, the Carpenter was. Who worked under uh, him? I don't. I mean, I haven't seen it so long, but no, who was it? It Rob Zombie. Yeah. Was it Rob Gary Panter was the, the the designer, and then Rob Zombie was his carpenter. And I guess like, oh, he, oh, oh, gotcha. Uh, he just like, and he also like famously, uh, I guess I would like I forget who told me this. Maybe it was Nick Gazin, the artist, but someone told me this thing where apparently he's like, so what was it like? Rob Zombie being, you know, your carpenter. And he's like, a lot like uh, Rob Zombie standing around holding a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> the answer should have been more human than human. Yeah. Have been the yeah. Gary <laughs> Panther uh, also did uh, a lot of stuff for Ralph Records, like a lot of the art for Ralph Records. And uh, he actually had his own record and did stuff for Raw Comics and – yeah, he's a, and later on did stuff for the Dirt Bombs more recently. And cool. I met him years ago and asked him to do the cover art for Hidden World. And he said yes, but then I lost his contact. He said he, he didn't <laughs> say yes. Like, I, I'm thinking it seemed like it was a sure thing. He said he would think, he, he's like, yes, I made the record and we, we'll talk about it. And then uh, and I lost his contact, so it never happened. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll get him back someday. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know any of that. Thanks for sending that in for sure, Josh. That was good. Mm-hmm. That was a fantastic email. Thank you for that. Yeah. Last one, and this one's kind of a beast, and it's a special for Dag Nasty folks. Do you want to do it or me? All right. Well, let's 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 start tackling it together. 
Uh, subject Dag Nasty from Jeremy T. After listening to you guys moving through the history of Dag Nasty and their uh, lineup changes and your talking of City Gardens, I felt I needed to send along some fun facts and interesting picks. I grew up in suburban Philly about 15 minutes from City Gardens, and I was a serious show attendee from 87 to 94. Dag Nasty. First singer, Sean Brown. Second and vocalist for Can I Say, Dave Smalley. Dave left the band after recording and before the 1987 tour, supporting the Descendants. Putting the band in a predicament, having to find a new vocalist at SAP. Local DC lad uh, Pete uh, Cortner stepped up. He was in the band with Futures Dinking Lavidia from yeah, Manyani. Yeah, I don't know that, but okay. Uh, Lizavita? Sinking yeah, Lizavita? Oh, okay. Sinking, a stinking Lizavita from Man, uh, Yanni. Uh, made famous for the song Wig Out. Anyone let, oh, someone let Yanni drive. Oh, that's, that's that Yanni. <laughs> that song. Okay. You know that yes. part in that song? <laughs> I don't recall it offhand, but Look yeah, at I can imagine. Goes. Someone let Yanni drive down. <laughs> okay, there you go. I remember going to like a New Year's party and having that CD in my CD player. And this is at a point where you, when you had a portable CD player, if you didn't have another CD, you were listening to that one thing all fucking weekend. And I went up to this terrible <laughs> party for New Year's Eve at my friend's uh, family's friends played, I don't know, wherever. But it, I just listened to that CD the whole way there and back. So, yeah. I definitely know that line. Anyway, cool. I digress. Uh, now I know that Sean, uh, Dave, and Pete debate is a hot one, but I will say that most people uh, that that, like that saw Dag Nasty on their many tours saw them with Pete. Sean went on to and current uh, the crushingly superior Swizz. You Agreed. Can, yep. <laughs> you can hear some beef songs in the Swizz discography. In the 1990s, when I was in university at Temple in Philly, I was fortunate to run into Pete, who was studying law there at the time. He had some interesting and humble stories to tell. So Pete is my dag singer. Sean is uh, in Swizz is my favorite frontman of the late 80s, early 90s. Dave equals hired gun. Whoops. Wow, shots fired. Shots, shots fired. fired. Uh, and then here's this uh, great letter that was written to Dave uh, from do Brian. We to, do we need to read it though? We can just put this up, I think. But it's it's super cool. Yeah. Or do you want? No, no. You can read it if you want. Like uh, it's fucking awesome. I think we should just put it up. But it's basically like correspondence from Dag Nasty responding to someone, uh, basically asking them to sing from for the band after Dave Smalley had quit uh, to go back to school. Does it say? I can't remember. Oh, is this Something. the Kevin Seconds? I don't know. Maybe it, it seems like Kevin. It's, it's Kevin. So I would imagine that's what it's from. Could you imagine? Yeah, that would be a very different sounding band. What an it must be something. Reality. I thought it was something that they had. I don't know if this looks scanned or not, or this is like a thing on the internet that I'm not aware of. But because it has the phone number uh, uh, scrawled out at the bottom, it's, clearly it seems to be Brian Baker's phone number at the time, at least. But. uh yeah, it's it's kind of a cool little uh, artifact. I don't know if people have seen it, but I was I was floored by it. Yeah, 
But anyway, I hope that uh, fills some dag nasty lore for the people that uh, are into all that. Uh, but yeah, great message for sure. And we're going to try and put up that image because it's just cool as hell. It is very, very cool. Well, we have gotten incredible stuff this week. Thank you, everyone, once again for sending along your mailbag items. Chris, how do they get in touch with us? You can reach us at turnedoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And as you've heard, we like uh, this kind of stuff that we did today. So send in any especially obscure things uh, and things of that nature. And uh, we're always... uh, Almost rarely do we do we not ever get to mailbag, so they will likely come up. All right. Now, I guess we're going to dive into this week's episode, right? <laughs> yes, an hour in. <laughs> okay, an hour in. This is the closest I think I've come to touching the Olympian heights of Nardwar. <laughs> well said, yep. Um, I did fuck up the first time in, in a race the original time we did this conversation. Um, yes, but I, you called me shortly thereafter and you were pretty, uh, I was pretty distraught. Pretty bummed. Pretty bummed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the loss of that was immense, but I called him the next day and you know, it's, it wound up being a very different kind of conversation the second time. Yeah. Um, it lacked the raw emotion of the first time, I think, but definitely, it, it like way more information the second time and like way more kind of, yeah, I think accurately kind of constructing the events of that transpired in these two people's lives where they had a brief meeting and it, you know, had an impact on both of them in a profound way. And then they both went on to do other major, major things. And, uh, and, both of them, you know, also have this incredible story involving arguably one of the greatest punk bands of all time and uh, arguably one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time. <laughs> arguably neither in their prime. Yeah. If, at that time. Uh, I'll tell you what, when you reach episode 200, that story is definitely going to be in the, uh, the <laughs> recap. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah, that, it's crazy. I will say, because you did it twice, I, I wouldn't have known you did it twice. So I, I do kind of get what you're saying with it lacking some of the spontaneity that maybe was in the original one. Yeah. But in terms of the uh, w- what I felt listening to it was that MVP and Zach both really like – as soon as they kind of started recounting those stories, like they took them back. I don't know. It's, it just seemed like they were really vibing on it the entire time. It, it didn't sound like rehearsed or anything. So – I thought it was, uh, you know, we, we probably missed some serious gold the first time, but I think uh, we still ended up getting it. Yeah, like the only thing you really miss is the fact that this was, um, like they had really lost touch, you know? Like this was like not like two guys that are like, you know, kind of like, you know, I haven't talked in like five years, but like I think they kind of like, you know, I probably, Zach, last time we saw him, never thought I'd see him again, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. Like, so... You so when you had come to the realization that the so when did they reconnect recently or you or you reconnected them again? I reconnected them. So you had interviewed Zach and then you interviewed MVP. You know, I I think I interviewed God. Let's let's go. We got to go to the other resource, iTunes. And yeah, uh, just because you put it up doesn't mean that that's when you interviewed them. That's why I'm curious. No, no, but I did. I those ones I I did do. Yeah, so Zach and MVP were. Weirdly, like three weeks apart, two weeks apart, one week apart. 
Scott Vogel is the only thing in between them. That's funny. And at that time, you didn't, you weren't aware that they they knew each other. No, not at all. No, the uh, what happened was I went out. MVP was in Toronto, so he and I went out to hang out that night. One night, one of the like a bunch of nights, but the first night we were hanging out, and I, you know, just brought up that Macho Man story that I think I remember him telling me. I'm like, did you tell me some crazy story about having to help calm the Macho Man down backstage at WCW one time? And he's like, no, no, and it wouldn't happen at WCW. It happened at this Guar show. And I'm like, oh, really? He's like, Guar and the Misses were playing together. He's like, actually, funny story. He's like, I know the guitar player at Guar. I knew this, who used, I don't know if he still does, but he played guitar in Guar. And he's like, tells me this story about, uh, you know, this, you know, meeting these, you know, random white kids one night in the park in Detroit, in Dallas, suburban Dallas. And then reconnecting with this guy years later because he sees him wearing this ridiculous badass, you know, tank top and kind of called him out on it and, you know, started this conversation. And I'm like, at this point, he's describing, you know, this good guy who his friend who was in Guar, who is from Texas, who is a, um, you know, and I, I, you know, we, we say this to Zach and Zach admits that he's kind of like skinny, but he's like a skinny white guy. It, with who's bald. And I'm like, I know, I'm like, his name was Zach Blair. And he's like, Oh, have I told you the story before? And I'm like, no, that's my friend. Like, I can't, I can't believe you know this dude. And he's like, Holy shit. I'm like, yeah, he plays in rise against now. And at this point I start texting Zach. Right. And I'm like, you're not going to believe this, but like I'm here with MVP and he knows you. And Zach's like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> right. Like, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, you know him probably by his, like, not stage name, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, yeah, great, man. And, like, you know, because he knew him by a completely different name. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so when, but he didn't put two and two together at that point. No, not really. And it wasn't until we had that first phone call that he put, he's like, holy shit, it's you. And, and, and just, like, kind of. You know, at that point, it was just, it all came back kind of to him. But, it, yeah, it's really amazing. And I think especially because, you know, they both, as I said earlier, they needed each other in a big way in their lives. You know, like, you know, MVP needed to get out of a situation that was potentially going to end his life. And ultimately a situation that, you know, had him incarcerated for 10 years. Um, and, you know, Zach needed help because they were getting brutalized by these, these, you know, he describes them as rednecks in that episode. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what they were just beating the shit out of him and his friends. So yeah, they really kind of need each other. And the fact that they feel this role, as I say, it's like a movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it's wild that it's wild that they basically like, they lose touch the first time, and then he says he met him up again when in the nineties after that. Yeah, and then then they lost touch again. Is what yep. you're saying before yep. he even wrestles, and then so you're you're the third time, you you third time's a charm, and you you were the the facilitator of that one. That's crazy. Yeah, like I think um, you know, like and I I'm just so happy I got to play a small part in it. Like MVP says, like. You know, like you did this thing with for Shotgun, uh, you know, for my for Shotgun from Burn and I, and I'm like, no, nah, I didn't do anything there. <laughs> like I just like 
put your story out there and, and you told this cool story involving him. And then, you know, you guys reconnected out of that, you know, like through Twitter and maybe I tweeted or something, but that was about all I did for that one. But this one, I really feel like, you know, like, I don't know. I sound, it's going to sound creepy when I say it like this, but I feel blessed <laughs> to have been in the position to kind of do this because like, I don't know. I think there are just two people that are from different enough worlds that, you know, you wouldn't know that they're connected. Though I did text a former guest, uh, Lars, about this connection, and it blew his fucking mind. Oh, nice. Yeah, he was well, like, it's cool. like, he knows for both people, of them, obviously. Yeah, exactly. For people that know both of them, and it's kind of wild. Like, for me, it was interesting to listen to, too, because, like, again, I, I believe on the episode that we did after Zach's, like, uh, he wouldn't remember me, I'm sure, in that context, but, like, I've met him and been around him, so, yeah. like, I have a familiarity with him, too. So it's just weird hearing him recount all these stories, and, like, it was very relatable. But, uh, yeah, it's just crazy. It's just I, – I don't think I have any of those scenarios in my life where you've encountered someone, like, in your, you know, formative years or something that you end up reconnecting with that later life. I don't I – don't, I'm trying to think of any – there is one punker that was Colombian that was a – exchange student at my school mm -hmm. that was like real deal into like super cool stuff at the time. Like it would have been uh sort of been like the mid to late nineties. Yeah. And he, at the time he was like one of these people that was like, he, I don't know what the scenario was, but he had, he was here and he was obsessed with getting his hands on any punk stuff he could. And he was like dedicated to the point where he had this list. I remember he like pulled out this list of like, uh, you know, or like, you know, your typical like line sheet of paper, but yeah. like written down like 50 things. But the crazy thing at the time was there was stuff on there that I would come to like later, but he had stuff like, and again, it, it sounds pretty, uh, you know, um, whatever commonplace in 2016 and when the internet can get you anything you want. But this era, he was like, I had like been doing part-time work at a record store at the time too. And he had ordered all these CDs. He basically gave a list of 50 or 60 things and just said, get me as much of this as you can. And it was stuff like, it was cool. It was like all like the classic ref stuff. But I remember him having like side by side on there. Uh, like, like just like JFA, just like bizarre wow. stuff that, that like I knew some of it and then yep. some of it I didn't, but I was like, how does this guy, but he was totally would have been like one of these people who just like obsessed with MRR or something and just <laughs> had like followed some kind of uh, like music publication of some kind like that. And once he came here, could get access to it. And he was just like went gangbusters. But I knew this guy for like um, probably, yeah, just what would be, I guess, a semester. And then he was gone. I still to this day don't know. I always wonder if he – because he was so down in high school. I just wonder like – it must have continued, but yeah. So that's probably the only one I can think of. But just uh, like their story is wild. Like if I ever reconnected with this guy, it'd blow my mind. You know, what I mean, I don't have too many things like that. Yeah, like there's definitely like this is kid Nick that got me into, you know, Sonic Youth and that stuff. I'd love to see what he's doing now. Um, yeah. A lot of people though, uh, you know, reach out <laughs> because of uh the band and stuff so i've gotten to yeah meet. You're, you're a public figure so it's a little easier yeah yeah like I, i've been lucky to kind of reconnect with uh some people but um you know like most of the people like i i, I still kind of keep in touch with what were like kind of my part of my formative era of, of punk stuff you know, yeah definitely, like, though, i'm trying to think like people i've met on tour and stuff like that people like met on early tours that you you lose touch with but yeah, I'm sure. You know what? To be said that to be fair, yeah, there's probably a little of that. 
But nothing like this intense of a relationship. No, yeah, exactly. Um, that's that's the thing I think that that defines this is that how how important this was, and especially to MVP, it seems like he, you know, to Zach, obviously it was really important and all this sort of stuff. But I think for MVP, it was, you know, like that he kind of brings up this moment, you know, that we're about Zach being so focused on his dream of playing guitar, you know, and and doing that, you know, and like, I'm going to do this and that determination and knowing he was going to do that at the age of 15, you know, and then MVP, you know, going through this hellish nightmare of a situation, regardless of how he got into it. But like, you know, of, of winding up in prison for like uh, all close to a decade and then coming out and like having that determination to become this pro wrestler and doing it. And doing it on like the grandest scale, like it's I don't know, it's so cool, so cool. Anyway, I can go on forever like this. No, I agree. There's a, so as far as points, um, one thing I want to get off at the top because I don't know how into this band you are, but I liked that uh, there's an email chain we have going on in the the background relating mm-hmm. to Turner Punk footnotes. That's incredible, and I'd like it to continue forever. But uh, there was some discussion relating to the Judas Priest mentions. And particularly yes. the MVP gave them sort of uh, short shrift or what have you. And uh, these people felt that he should uh, reconsider his evaluation of Jewish priests. And I fully agree. Uh, and I was kind of shocked to hear that because, like, I, I think priests are one of those groups that actually are kind of raging. And so I, I get that, like, punk people can, can get stuff out of priest and be into it. So I think it's something that he would like had he, you know, sat down and listened to some of that stuff again. It Especially, might- like, like, Voivod, obviously... Is a, is a like the Voivod comes up too relating to metal yeah. things, and Voivod obviously is classic. But but I mean, like if you took tracks from sort of the crucial era of Jewish Priest, I mean, you definitely have an album as strong as uh, you know the the classic Voivod LP. But uh, anyway, yeah, like for me, like Killing Machine from '78, British Steel from '80. These are all LPs. Screaming for Vengeance from '82. Uh, I would even you know Turbo from '86, and I would even go so far as I go far with them. A lot of people don't go that far, but I think Painkiller from 1990 is also an incredible. Record. A lot of people like that record because that's where they kind of changed their sound and and yeah. Like, and I think uh, yeah, like I don't, I know I, they might be like it might just be like not liking the fans type thing. And- yeah, I get that. I totally get that one. But I just mean as records, as standalone records, I I just man, they're they're a group that I've always liked. Like I've never had a problem with them at all from first hearing them. Yeah. I kind of think Vibe School, too. I think Rob Halford's a really important musical figure for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to point that out. But I don't know. Did you ever like – I know you're not really a metal guy all that much, but did you ever like uh, Priest? Like I like him in the sense of like now I like that all that kind of music. But yeah, like it wasn't – like it doesn't have a special place for me at all because yeah, yeah. metal uh, with the exception of I guess Guns N' Roses, if you'd even lump them in there, uh, where it was like kind of – a later thing I came to. Gotcha. You know, post, post, uh, grunge. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I think for me, it's because the, this kind of stuff was what, not priest exclusively, but that, that like metal stuff of this nature I got into before I really got into sort of the, the really, what I would consider like really good punk stuff. So for me, this is like a formative memory I have of some of the stuff. But yeah. I do think like, if you listen back, I mean, people, like there's a whole bunch of I mean Priest is really like they have crazy leads and things like that nature, but there's definitely some lifts from those records of that era all over the place. Oh, absolutely. 
So yeah. Anyway, and I like I like I do like them now, right? Like now that I can appreciate it um, and yeah. stuff. But it just it doesn't have like the uh, you know. But that's great because I don't have any baggage towards it. Like obviously MVP, you know, might be like you know. There's certain bands you can't get past if you have like a bad experience with a fan or something. Yeah, shit, I, like, get, stuff. I, I get that. that. I, I I appreciate when people do have that sort of uh, intolerance toward a band too. To be honest, because I have a few of those, as do you. But yeah, oh god, um, yeah. I was just surprised to hear it because Priest is not normally the one I hear from people and it was kind of just like interesting especially for someone who has i believe like when he speaks about music he has this real kind of keen ear about certain things and i was shocked that that one didn't resonate with him but either way yeah yeah well i'm not i you know what i'll let you guys tell him how to listen to music <laughs> with his arms that are like music. no exaggeration like 20 some odd inches thick <laughs> like no i'm not saying it's it. only when you stand beside a wrestler do you realize that like it's like they're thicker than human beings. Oh yeah, like obviously. way thicker. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. What do you? What's your point? Uh, I guess I'm going to be uh, for my first one. Um, I guess like the idea of uh, it, like being the outcast and for liking music and having that being being tormented by it. And for it, you know, like, I don't think, you know, obviously I had my issues with being bullied in school, like a lot of people, but I think by the time I got into music, that was over. Like, I don't think I ever took any shit for the music I like, like probably like people probably did, but I, I didn't care about those people by that point. Like, it wasn't like those people were beating me up because I liked punk, you know, did you ever have to deal with anything like that? No, I never did either. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever... The only things I remember ever getting flack for at all was, uh, again, related more to metal stuff. But it was more like kind of... I remember entering high school and because like grunge and, and the indie thing were so big. Mm-hmm. And I liked that stuff fine, but I always liked metal as well. Like I've never like shunned... I never like changed identities on anything sonically. So I've always included everything. <clears throat> and so... If I, you know, I remember catching flack for like liking Sepultura and Grade Nine a bit from like these lame wad people who are like only interested in Pearl Jam or something. Yeah. But uh, other than that, but I mean, again, I didn't even have a beef with Pearl Jam. I didn't think they were great, but I just was like, yeah, I'm fine with this stuff too. I didn't really, but no, in terms of like what they're talking about, like fearing like you know getting beat up or anything, I've been pretty lucky. I don't know if it's because uh, I grew up with enough, you know, like sort of. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, people who let's just say that in their lives have ended up in some pretty precarious positions. That uh, in my younger years, I was sort of uh, surrounded by those people. Maybe that's why I didn't have any issues. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, not MVP like, but you know, let's just I don't know more like MVP than me. Let's say, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I've never experienced I, that, but I know plenty of people that have. But yeah, not me. I think that's definitely like yeah, like you brought up. It's a pre-Nirvana, pre-Black album. Uh, oh yeah, predicament where you were, you know, like at that point in the the late mid late eighties, that music marginalized you, and, and definitely in places where there wasn't a scene. Yeah, totally. I think. I think you you those two records specifically are 
I think more than any, maybe like the probably the best indicators of, of noting because both of them hit so heavily that they and they were so polarizing. Like I, I don't think he saw so many people who went like, "Oh, Nirvana's terrible." But for me, like I was really into Metallica. So when that Black album came out, that was kind of like the entry point for all the people that I you know came to despise, and that's yeah. where I was. That's where I was out. Whereas Nirvana kind of hit, you know, whatever, I think it was a year later, maybe. And so then, then that, you know, sonically, that turned me on to a whole new thing. But I remember being like, like severe, I'm still resentful to this day over Metallica. But, um, but yeah, it's funny, you, you, you did not catch flack like you did after that kind of time. Like, yeah. like, I'm sure there's stuff now that we're not aware because we're not, you know, like legit young people anymore. And maybe there is these things we don't see, but... For me, those were really big ones that I can't remember anything as polarizing since in terms of like being like defined as like, you know, being called a freak or a loser or whatever, like for liking some music. I didn't, I barely, well, I never really experienced much of it, but when they're talking about, I think you and I just missed, I think they're probably a good minimum four or five years older than us. I think they caught that, but we, we were sort of of the generation that kind of, depending where you were kind of skated on it a bit less or a bit more apart. I think, I think like the, the thing was like, you, you, you kind of said it there with these, these were the records that mainstreamed this music. Like this is the, these are the records that brought like an MVP talks about it in, I don't know if it's in his episode. I did this crazy interview with MVP. That's going to be coming out soon for vice. That's, unbelievable that's that's even more insane than the podcast because it's a little broader but uh he talks about hearing nirvana for the first time and being like this is punk like i'm hearing punk on the radio and he couldn't believe it um but that like what nirvana did to punk kind of metallica did to metal and at least broadened it to yeah a mainstream yeah no i i agree i think you could cite different things of bands that were big that were definitely in that arena but mm-hmm. i think what what we're trying to i guess stress at least what i'm like you know what i think we're we're hitting at here is it it polarized it in a very 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 specific way because like people basically if you weren't into metal when the black album came out you know like the people that were into metal already you know were well on the on the track it's the it was there was people that were not into that at all that got into that like that band all of a sudden mm-hmm. and that's what as a young person was like, like insanely infuriating now it's funny I, I just thought stylistically i still to this day think stylistically it's horrendous so that's my problem with it but uh but yeah like as a young person i was just like you know this is my thing now it's all these you know lame people's thing and i'm not into it but uh but nirvana i think just kind of broke it in a way where it was just like clearly it changed you know the, the whole like landscape of music, arguably. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Nerv- I don't know if Metallica did that so much as they just broke out and uh, whatever. I think, I, think like- I think Metallica probably did it for metalheads in a way, like you know, like it 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 made that acceptable. Yeah, I think though what what I see more with the Metallica thing for people that are more of my ilk is like that's where we were like you know it was almost as bad as like burning records in the streets like you know so that that was a bit of a different trajectory than Nirvana which sort of broke yeah, and I don't think but uh, Nirvana like you get that vibe too from like certain people like there's people that have been on this show before yeah, is Tom true. Sharpling that no it's not Gerard maybe I don't know someone who's like really into Bleach but doesn't like never mind. Yeah, I remember hearing it too. I can't remember who it was. You you were definitely going to be right for the older folks that were already into this kind of stuff. I think for me and you, or I don't know if I can speak for you, but for me certainly, it that it started to expose me to these things I didn't know. So 
it was a great entry point for me. Like, I think that's a great entry point. I don't think the Black Album is a great entry point for anyone into metal. (laughs) (laughs) Like Nirvana, Nirvana, never mind. Like, yeah, I don't, it's not my favorite Nirvana record, but it's definitely fine. You know what I mean? If, if someone was to get into them on that, I'd be like, yeah, cool. You know, you're, you're on your way. Good. Like Black Album, I'd be like, I would ban it. You know, it wouldn't be allowed in the world anymore. But, uh, wow. Oh, I hate it. I still hate it to this day. It's awful. And I'm sure a lot of people agree with me, I hope, but God, it's, it's so bad. Um, I don't yeah, agree I don't, with you. I think it's like, it's not my favorite record, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think it's that bad. Oh, awful. I don't know. It's one of those C records, C red records for me. I just, I can't hang with it. Chris, you're a lot like of people, it's like London Calling or something. <laughs> I love that record. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but the, uh, what was going to say? A lot of people actually start jumping off on and justice for all which is right before that i i disagree although the drums on it are awful but um but yeah the black album for me is just inexcusable i think the ballads really push it over the edge of of being like you know a real no-go record for me as far as like you know i don't know if if that was anyone's favorite record i would be you know that would be a tough one for me to digest (laughs) put it to you that way i like that song the memory remains that's my favorite on reloaded Oh, that like I, it's like that. <laughs> nothing, not nothing after that ever. No. Have you heard the new song? The new songs. The new song sounds kind of like oldish Metallica. Not having any of that. Yeah, people on social media blowing up about how it's great and everything. There's no. It's not even physically. Like, it's not possible. Like it's like you're not even speaking the right language to me. Not the into best it. Best thing Metallica ever did was feature <laughs> members of Septic Death. Yes. <laughs> and that terrible documentary later. Oh yeah, <laughs> that movie's awesome. It exposes how absolutely hilarious the the inner sanctum of that band was. And give but, the guy uh, who recorded Subhuman some screen time. <laughs> I like that. That's where you went with that. Yeah, but yeah, totally. I don't know why we're going nuts on Metallica. That was my little rant. I guess I apologize for you. Yeah, on yeah you went you went on a deep rant there, my friend. Hey, had to be done. Uh, okay, so uh, it's your point. All right. Uh, I want to jump to Guar real quick yeah. at, at a minimum. Uh, love Guar. Uh, specifically, I love that MVP talked about hearing Slaughterama and, and like, you know, kind of thinking they're a novelty group, but then like hearing that song and being like into it. Yeah. Uh, I heard probably Sick of, Sick of You first because of the video or whatever. Then a music video for Sick of You, which is off the same record, the very amazing Scum Dogs of the Universe from 1990. But, uh, Slaughterama uh, is on that record, and that is an amazing song. I argue that the first four songs on that record are pretty unbelievable as far as like track one to four straight. Like Salamonizer, Maggot, Sick of You, Slaughterama, amazing uh, four tracks. But anyway, do you like Scum Dogs? I never really talked to you about Guar. I don't know if you're a Guar guy or not. I, I do like Guar. Um, I have to admit, it's not my favorite Dave Brocky thing. I do like Death Piggy a lot. I think that band is really interesting. Um, but, but yeah, like Guar, you know, once again, not being a metal person, I don't think I got it as, you know, like musically. And then now I, I like, I, I kept the first record. I still have Hello. And nice. I don't own, I don't own any of these actually on, uh, on vinyl. Yeah. I, I wish I had Scum Dogs. I think they reissued Scum Dogs a few years ago, actually, as like a, or this year. Wow. Anyway, sorry, go on. But yeah, like then I I got to see them, and it is a like to this day probably one of the best live performances you can see of anything, like any performance of music, yeah. theater, film, whatever. Fuck it, anything. Uh, <laughs> 
they uh and also like yeah now i kind of get the music and so i've gone back and i i i it's a deep catalog and i'd be lying if i said i've gotten into every one of these records and you know there's certainly records that i've hit so far in this like before actually zach rejoins them or joins them i should say yeah they're kind of like a bit of a lull um but then those the records that he plays on are cool and you know like i i you know once again though i think it not being a metal person it didn't hit me in the same way i think it hit you i used to watch those videos i used to watch their movies all the time though yeah i still never seen them live uh unfortunately i wish i had when when dave was still alive of course but uh the uh, for me the two records are Scum Dogs from 1990 and America Must Be Destroyed from 91. Both are excellent. Uh, I didn't follow them as much, but yeah, I do like. I don't know if Zach, Zach's on the record. I don't know if this is the first one he's in, but Violence Has Arrived from 2001, mm-hmm. which is a late a late Guar record. It's very good. Um, but those are the ones I'm most familiar with. But yeah, cool band. I never. Th- I I guess what, you're right with the metal context. I just for for some reason in my brain I never really think of them in that context because they're such a an oddity of a group. Like, yeah. So I think, and there's a lot of really silly things on, on every record, but certainly scum dogs, there's stuff that I, I think it's like appealed to my, like, I really like a lot of absurd music and there's a lot of stuff on that record. That's just so like silly that I'm just mad into. But, um, anyway, yeah, great band, but I thought all the Dave Brocky stuff they talked about was great too. Uh, did you ever get to meet him? I did. He was he was in character though, so I, oh. <laughs> I we didn't get to actually talk um in any great length or or at all. Um but he he was really nice and I was supposed to go on his telephone for crack and then it just never happened. So what uh when did you meet him in character? Just at a gig? Yeah, we played a show with Guar in Texas at South by Southwest outside and it was freezing cold, but he was in full costume and wow it was it it was really fun it was like a really cool hang and uh for like a brief moment you know with us because it was like you know even though i wasn't like the biggest guar fan until you know last few years by that point i was already a fan but i'd watched those movies you know like this was like some like real deal thing for me yeah that's cool though. I didn't. I wasn't aware you would, you guys had played with them, but yeah, they're they're an interesting group. They're always something I'd wanted to see live, but for whatever reason, just they'd come a few times too, and I I just never took the chance. I think I just one of those groups I just thought would always be going too. You know what I mean? You just never assume that yeah. things will change. And yeah, anyway. a tragic band too. Like unlike you know, and I think it's I think it's open now, right? Like, but it it just speaks to you know like the the real tragedy with drugs. You know, and there's certain drugs that people don't really win with, you know, and there's like two members in that band that I think that succumb to, um, you know, diseases of addiction. Yeah. I think Zach mentioned one of them, uh, as well beyond Dave in, in the, uh, in the, in the interview. Yeah. There's a guitar player who, uh, they, you know, they, and they played the show that night too in Winnipeg. Crazy. It was crossing the border. If I remember the whole story correctly, the details. Huh? anyway but yeah a great uh a a great band you know like a fascinating band and and well worth your time and oh my god does the death piggy piggy discography go deep (laughs) you're already out you're already gone down that the down that path yeah i'm like looking at it now but there's like i only have the first seven inch um but there's like two other seven inches i gotta try and find 
I don't. You know, it's funny. I've never this band. I've never sought out. I've always been aware of the name, but I and obviously the connection. But I've never. I don't think I've ever heard Death Piggy to be honest. Is so it's not as metally. I take it. Yeah, it's just like kind of like weird, weird punk. So I, it, would it be something akin to like the direction of like what, uh, like what the Meat Men became kind of thing? Like the idea of it just becoming more absurd and like not quite metal or something? Yeah, you know? it's still like the first seven inch at least. I've heard these other two seven inches, but they it's like rooted more in hardcore. Gotcha. You know, but it's so just you kind of zany and weird. Yeah, you have Love War yeah. from 84. On the greatest label of all time. DSI records. <laughs> Maybe not the greatest, but certainly <laughs> one of my favorite labels to kind of go through, put out United Mutation, who yeah. I will say is probably my favorite band on Discord. That's a bold yeah. statement. That's a hot take. <laughs> um, but also put out Rusty Pistachio from H2O's first band, Images, and put out uh, Immoral Discipline, a band who may or may not be a little uh on the dubious side of of allegedly um, okay and uh yeah foundations they did a scream record in 2010 yeah. okay yeah <laughs> i was going to say <laughs> so so yes and no yeah yeah <laughs> anyway cool but uh what was your next point on in regards to the, the show here? Uh I guess I'm gonna go to next um uh there's something I wanted to get to, but it's back. Um and uh this is uh something I should have been preparing for, Chris. That's fine. I figure uh, we, we've been going for two hours. You just want to talk about the obvious story? <laughs> well, I did. I, I, no, I did want to get, before we get to the obvious story, I wanted to talk yeah. about the uh, equally low-key insanity of the story about MVP leaves town. Yeah. Well, it is wild. Like, his whole story in general is, is yeah, like, it's incredible. It's movie-worthy, and if there's not a movie one day, I'll be disappointed, but I, I feel like there will be. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's the idea of like going somewhere else to get out of trouble and then like getting into an equal or greater amount of trouble in that <laughs> <Yeah>. place. <laughs> but it's like, uh, it's like that level, the movie would be so funny because he's got that like lovable, uh, I don't know, lovable, like, like bad guy thing where he's like, yeah. like hanging out with the nerds and he's like the nerds protectors. And then yeah. like, you know, yeah. at the same time is like, <laughs> It's just it's like crazy. Rob, it's so Robin Hood esque, you know. Like it's like, yeah, it's true. Like, this whole like idea of the noble villain, you know, and like here's this guy yeah. who, you know, like it's just that's why I think it is such a great character for a movie. Just that story, because here's this guy who rolls up on him with kind of evil intentions, and it's really just the shirts and realizing that they're metalheads. That I think, from the sounds of it, makes him drop his guard and kind of just be like, okay. Let's talk to these guys. Yeah, it's funny too because uh, that's an uh, important point to make because I know you know people still wear band shirts like crazy or whatever, and even I make a point 
is, is when uh, now being an old person officially, uh, when I see a young person with like something very interesting that they're wearing, like as far as a band shirt or something, I tend to always be like make a point to like make a comment to them. Yeah. And I'd say about ninety percent of the time it does not land, and they just think I'm some weird idiot. Yeah, like, and they just shut up, don't. old man. <laughs> I don't know if it's that bad yet, but it definitely felt like it. <laughs> but uh, but you know that like ten percent is worth it because a lot of times they'll be like you know receptive, and then it's just like, hey man, yeah, this is like. You you start to like you know start that dialogue with someone who has some like cool taste or whatever, and I think in the in the early years that they're discussing, which would have been before our time even, like yeah, that would have gone a long way. Like if you see someone with like the identifiers in those years, you know that they were few and far between. Yeah, like it wasn't like Kim Kardashian was wearing disclosed jackets or Ryan Gosling <laughs> exactly, wearing flag yeah. shirts, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they don't know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like that's amazing. You like Gos like. I don't know what this is. <laughs> yeah. But that's like, that's the thing. We live in a very different world. Whereas back then these would have been like, you know, like uh SOS flags. People would be throwing up basically like, Hey, look, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm into this too. Yeah, totally. I think nowadays, like the, the, for me anyway, it's like the obscurity of it. Like I would see someone with like something really like crazy obscure. I'll usually be like, wow, that's amazing. Cause I know that there's like some kind of effort went into them, like trying to acquire this, this thing. Right. Yeah. Now, but that's usually the thing that'll peak me now, but at the same time, yeah, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> it's a slippery slope with that one too. Yeah. Yeah. I think because it's, it's it, because the effort required isn't always the focus that you want. Yeah. Uh, for me, I tend to, it's usually friends bands. I'll usually kind of be like, Oh, Hey, nice. And then, then start that talk. And, but like, and I've been fortunate to actually like probably make some friendships of it over the years. Yeah. I don't have any in my youth that I can think of though. Do you have any of those kind of stories? Um, yeah, like I uh, trying to remember, I'm trying to think now. I definitely have those type of stories where you like see someone and you're like, oh, you like this too. I've had like weird ones like that at, at like the, there's a famous one I've heard at the border where some band got pulled over. I believe it was guilt at the Canadian yeah. border crossing in. They were about to get searched. And as they were getting searched, like a member of the band climbed out and had an endpoint tattoo. <laughs> and the barter guard was like, is that an endpoint tattoo? And uh, he was like, yeah. Um, and then someone else was like, I think maybe Duncan Barlow, someone, I forget who was in guilt is like, yeah, I was in that band. And uh, she's like, that's my son's favorite band. <laughs> nice. Yeah, and gave wow. them, yeah, like a, apparently gave them a uh, a bunch of merch, and then they got through, no problem. Wow. Yeah, I love those songs, but yeah, uh, yeah, like I and I'm trying to think more personally for me. Um. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, no. This is actually my story. One time I was at when I was working uh, at the video store. I went out to throw garbage out and I walked out and there's this, uh, group of, uh, Japanese students and one of them's got long hair and is wearing an SOB shirt. Oh and, yeah. And I go up and I'm like, uh, yo, that's, that's incredible. That's sure. That's amazing. I love that band. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, they're, they're a fantastic <laughs> band. And then I went, uh, I'm like, and then I talked to him briefly, like two seconds and I went back inside and then he came back into the store and he's like, so you like this band, you know, all these bands. And I'm like, yeah, like I love, you know, 
Japanese hardcore, Burning Spirit stuff. And like, you know, we started talking. Uh, his name is Ryo. I gave him his, my number and we exchanged numbers. And then eventually I formed a band with him. And then I actually quit the band or got kicked out because I never came to practices. Uh, <laughs> and that band became Endless Blockade. And he's the original drummer. Wow. Yeah. That's quite the tale. I believe, I don't know if you told that on the show, but I've heard bits of that before, but that's cool. Yeah. And, and so, you know, once again, that's just someone wearing, and that was because like that, that, that's a pretty deep cut. And every time I'm in Japan, I always just ask people about Japanese punk and Japanese hardcore and Japanese wrestling. And I do the same when I'm in Mexico and anywhere, anywhere I travel, I do this sort of thing. (laughs) Yeah. Because you never know. But, you know, when someone's wearing a shirt, you definitely know. True, yeah. Yeah, I don't he's know. He's got like, like a bunch of re- he's got his own solo record. Who does? What you t- what are you talking uh, about? Uh like from Endless Blockade, Ryo. Oh, oh gotcha. After that group you're saying. Yeah. What? Huh. Uh, <laughs> no, he says he has like uh <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> okay, well, uh it says he has a uh one of his singles and splits is this record with his band, uh, Kea Sua and No Joy. And I'm like, oh, No Joy. I wonder if that's my cousin's band, No Joy. But no, this yeah. is an ex- Italian experimental hentai project. Crazy. Yeah, hentai project. Weird. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we jumping to now? Where, where your friends wind up. <laughs> uh, he's in a lot of bands <laughs> so let's get to the infamous story here okay let's get the infamous story okay so the story that we got to talk about they've listened this long they, they need the payoff <laughs> yeah we got to talk about we got to talk about what so how did you first hear about this because you told me about this in past i've heard like the legend of macho man in general is a long one like macho man from anyone that actually knew him from behind the scenes, like he was as MV, MVP said, like an incredibly nice, incredibly loyal person. I don't think I'd be saying something to it aligned by saying that he apparently also was a little bit paranoid to a lot bit paranoid and possessive and um, definitely had some, you know, relationship issues around that um, with a former Miss Elizabeth, according to some of her accounts. And so I don't think that boded well for this situation. Um, and I first heard about this. It's kind of like wrestling lore. Um, I guess like the, the macho man stuff that happened afterwards, there is a story from someone, maybe it's disco inferno. No, it's someone else, but about being at WCW the day after George, uh, and, and, and they had split up. And how upset Macho Man was sitting backstage. But then I'd heard this story, I guess, from MVP. A little bit. Not this much detail. Like, I had no idea that, you know, this was before he started wrestling. And that he was, like, you know, started talking to him. And then I might have heard from Zach. I'm pretty sure I did, now that I think about it. uh, About the time that the Guar was on tour with the Misfits. And all of a sudden... Uh, Macho Man showed up and um, this kind of like crazy night of run-ins with the Macho Man. So I'd heard both these stories separately and then 
you know, when I finally put it all together was like, oh my God, this is going to be incredible. I'll have two different <laughs> perspectives on this night. The scoop of all scoops. Yeah. Yeah. The scoop of all scoops, you know? And, and so here it is the scoop of all scoops for turn. <laughs> I think the part that is the, I mean, the whole story in general is insane and amazing for a whole different set of reasons. Like, but the, the thing I did not expect was the Zach part. Like yeah. the Zach part to me is like the, is like the craziest and kind of like, it's the most endearing part of the story for me. And like, I just, you and like you've been on tour enough, and, and I've certainly toured enough. Where, you know, the insanity of that, you know, is you know, it's crazy. But I definitely could totally see something that happening. Like, yeah, like I've I've never had something that happen, but I wouldn't have ruled any of that out at any point in time. <laughs> like something of that nature. I'm going to disagree with you on the most endearing part of it. To me, it was almost the fact that this is all before MVP starts training to be a wrestler. And then once he trains to be a wrestler, he has this separate kind of relationship with Macho Man. Yeah. And brings us up to him. And this was a profound night for Macho Man. Like, you know, an MVP's kindness that he showed him had an impact. You know, he yeah. remembers to this day. I mean, though, with regards to the, the idea that Zach is like caught in this awkward situation. Where oh, yeah. No, where, where I can definitely relate is. to that. And he's like consoling a stranger, yep. but he doesn't know how much it means to the stranger. He's just doing it because he doesn't, you know, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I just, yeah, like that's insane. And, and like for me, like he knew who he was, but he, he doesn't like Zach doesn't really seem like he was too into wrestling. So like for me, that would have been insane though. Cause you're just like, this is the macho man. Like this yep. is like, like you, macho was definitely one of my favorite wrestlers in that era, if not all eras. But, uh, yeah, it's a crazy story. I still I, – I can't believe that's reality. The whole time that they were telling it, I was thinking to myself, like there's that show Party Legends. Yeah. Ironically, made by Lance Banks, who you recently interviewed or not so recently interviewed but put out. Yes, uh, yes. But uh, I just thought the whole time I was envisioning it being animated and like as they were telling the story. Yeah, we could do – we should do Turn It a Punk Legends and just yeah, animate just all these like, like the best stories that we get on here. Yeah, we need to find an animator. If there's animators out there, reach yeah, out. Yeah, get in touch because, like, you know, this would be a – yeah, you're right. This would be kind of cool. Um, but this one's wild. Yeah, that one is totally, like – yeah, it's so good. But anyway, yeah, I don't know what you're going to say. No, no, no. I think I think you're right. Like, I think that's the – that story to me is amazing because it combines my two twin passions, punk and wrestling. <laughs> um, and, and also I think it just, you know, it it, it reflects, like – how Macho Man, you know, was a a very intense person, and oh yeah, and a very scary person, and uh, you know, you got a room full of security and cops, and they don't want to touch this guy. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know that he might have a bad reputation. Oh yeah, well, I like, I just like the idea though that he was even like when MVP's talking to him, even that part where he's like being receptive to MVP but not seeming to anybody else. And it's just the whole story is like so perfect in so many ways. It's mm -hmm. crazy. Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah. I mean, the idea that you could trace like like a wrestler coming, like even if you just took the broad idea of a wrestler comes to beat up someone in a band 
<laughs> like, like this, that concept, but it's, it's, you know, the group that it could have been, the situation that could have happened. It's just, it's crazy. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. Like, and it, it was like, I think it's like not to fight like a whole band. Like, I think that yeah. was the inten- that seemed to be the intention. Like, he was there to try and fight the whole band, you know, like, by <laughs> <That> himself. Is- <laughs> you know, he, oh, didn't have, he didn't have Lanny Poffo with him. It's not like he rolled up with a genius. Well, the thing so I like, close. the thing about the story that I think I like the most as far as the lore of Macho Man is that, you know, again, he was a wrestler, I really enjoyed it, and you just think the shtick is like, you know, this over-the-top thing, and you're like, wow, this guy, you know, is really, you know, it's just such a, I don't know, he, he was a larger-than-life character in wrestling, but the fact that it basically was more or less reality, like, is, is insane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that that's what he was actually like. Well, in wrestling, like, like they, they say that, like, the best wrestling personas are extensions of the real personality that these people yeah. have, and that, like, when you see, you know, like, when you see these people up there, they're 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 taking their real personalities and amping it up to to you know a bunch of notches. Yeah, and uh, I don't know how much amplification was being done with the Macho <laughs> Man, <laughs> which is nuts when you see. <laughs> anyway, yeah, just it's so it's so good. As a, and again, like I can't really even like I would even go so far as nowadays to say I don't think I could even call myself a wrestling fan anymore because I feel like I don't know enough about any recent things. But as a kid, I mean that. Get you back, know, had, dive back in, Chris. The water's warm. <laughs> but uh, it had a profound impact in that kind of golden era of WWF, and like Macho Man was certainly like one of those wrestlers for me. So this story was wonderful uh, on so many levels. But yeah, it's it's. I had not heard tell of it. I think except from you. So I don't know how how big the lore was, but the fact that it's now been clarified is wild. Yeah. And anyway, very cool. Yeah, like I don't think we can say too much more about this episode. Uh, once again, for, if there, if for some reason you're listening to this and have not listened to the episode, my gosh, you are doing this backwards because it is, <laughs> a, it, it is a monster of an episode. But um, I guess that's it, Chris. Right? Oh yeah, we've we've done it this week. Uh, I want to say to everyone that if you enjoy Turn It a Punk, I'm doing a Turn It a Punk live uh, November fourth, uh, fifth, and sixth. I'm actually doing it one of those days. Uh, it at Sound on Sound Festival down just outside Austin. Uh, look up Sound on Sound Fest, and it'll come up. And come out and see it. I've got some big surprises, and it is if there's a lineup better suited for Turned Out a Punk. I don't know what it is. <laughs> nice, um, but yeah. So come out and check that out. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, hit me up on various forms of social media at Leftford Damien. You can check out uh, DamienAbraham.com. You can also, though, please write a review and rate this podcast if you enjoy it and tell your friends about it and subscribe to it. And how do they reach us here, Chris? Uh, They can reach us at TurnedOutAPunkFootnotes at gmail.com. And you can go to Facebook.com and TurnedOutAPunk over on Facebook.com. Like that page. It's run by Tristan Abraham. He'll be putting up a bunch of the stuff that we've been talking about here on the visual side over there. Or if you don't use Facebook like myself and like Chris, I think, uh, correct. Correct. correct yes. Okay. Uh, you can go to, uh, turnedoutapunk.tumblr.com and check out there cause we post stuff there too. And, uh, I think that's it, Chris. Uh, Oh, uh, yeah. Next week, 
Knock on wood. Uh, uh, Tournament of Death documentary comes out. Nice. Oh, my fucking God, Chris. You said you were lapsed in your wrestling fandom? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> get ready to get gloriously dragged bloodily back into it with <laughs> all the violence you can imagine. Um, all right. <laughs> but, yeah, and then uh, I guess that's it. Unless you want anyone to get in touch with you, Chris? personally no i'm good i'm okay. good okay that's what i thought uh and uh that's it next week on the show someone who i believe you might have toured with chris someone that i've definitely played some shows with and become friends with and it is a fantastic episode goes a lot of places i don't think you'd expect it would uh jeff rickley of the band thursday and uh yeah it, it is a fun episode we have a good time Cool. I definitely have not toured with that person, but cool. Alex on Fire never toured with Thursday or maybe not during your tenure? If they did, yeah, I wasn't there, but no. Okay. Not, not, I don't I don't know them anyway, but yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing it though. Oh my gosh, yeah. There's some incredible stories in this one that once again could be very well animated into a uh into a funny little uh well tragic too. Some really scary stuff. And we don't even get into the label controversy of the last couple of years. Like this is just Jeff talking about music and stuff. There's going to be part two. I'm going to spoiler alert. (laughs) There's a part two and a part three coming because we barely scratched the surface, but we get to some good stuff. We get some good stuff. Anyway, that's it for this week. If you uh, enjoy this podcast, once again, please subscribe to it and tell your friends and we will see you next week. Bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.